Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 157 of RPG Digest. In segment one, we read through a tabletop RPG to introduce it to you, and oftentimes to ourselves as well. This is for you, folks, well, and for us. That's right. Yes, I'm just reading a book. That's all I'm doing here is reading the book because I want to provide it to you in case you don't have it and see if it's something you might be interested in because obviously it's something I'm interested in. No, it's just you like to hear yourself talk. I Everyone just like knows. to hear myself talk. That's right. <laughs> Can you hear my voice is scratchy right now? Like, it's talking too much. In segment two, we provide higher level overviews and fundamentals because we don't know anything about specifics and how to teach people to do things the right way. So we just kind of overview it for you. That's all we do wow. here. Of systems, settings, and game mechanics. I am John Maxley Auschlow, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along and with butter. me, and, <laughs> and butter. <laughs> you made me die. Along with me, as usual, is the one god in the pantheon of zero, Brett Heathen Dog Grissomer. How are you today, sir? Right. I'm doing well. I hope I hope we find everyone here just as well. Just uh, as happy as we are to be ig happy. ignorant about well, gaming. Happy as me. Oh, yeah. Not as butthurt as you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually crying. You just can't see. It's AI my, talking to you right now. <laughs> my bum hole. My bum hole. <laughs> was attacked on the internet. <laughs> Mr. Max, I just want to let you know, I did get your message yesterday. I saw it when I was on my phone. And as always, when I see something on my phone, I forget it later. I will respond to you. Actually, you and I should just kind of talk. The quick answers, don't worry about it yet. But uh, we can talk later. So okay. he's, got, he's got anal warts or something. I don't know. But That's I'm not going to say that publicly. So, did... All right. <laughs> <laughs> so how, is your, how are you today, sir? How was your week? Well, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, my week was fine. Uh, nothing really happened during the week. Uh, but yesterday I went to Cider Mill and uh, got some donuts and cider and some uh raw real cider honey. or just apple juice real cider no real cider okay and raw honey infused Ooh. with cinnamon like real honey like the stuff real, that actually isn't processed okay real, that's good yeah stuff that'll yes. cure everything a apparently has medicinal properties that honey is nature's miracle man yeah like who who knew that bee spit was so awesome i, I don't know that's <laughs> what it is what it is you know that's what it is but uh yeah so did that had fun uh it was dog friendly so my son who loves dogs like went up to every owner may i pet your dog that's good <laughs> he got pet a bunch of dogs so yeah it was fun what about you and oh i and and i say this with trepidation because i know the last couple of weeks have not been awesome um i'm on the work front i'm just busy as heck trying to you know We'll just say get through some things that the number one issue that I'm having, actually, everybody's been fairly reasonable once I've been able to talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, the one caveat being is this office that I work in are just a, and I'm not blaming any one person. It's the culture around it. Okay. It's just a bunch of yes, men. Well, well if secretary of state wants this. He's going to get it. Like, no, <laughs> like, like uh, I'm not breaking my stuff in order to please one person. I don't care if it's the president of the United States. This is the capabilities we have. If you F it up, I won't have any capabilities anymore. Been there, done that for some of the dumbest things. Oh, you unplugged an HDMI cable? It broke $150,000 a piece of equipment. Yes. Rap think about that for a second. That never happens. Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, you know, so things like that. Uh, other than that, no, the, the airmen that, that I'm working with right now, that I'm training, they've been great. Um, okay. 
Yeah, no, no, actually uh, all three are different personalities, but they've all been great. Uh, again, my supervisor has been supportive. I mean, the office has been supportive of what's going on. So after a little bit of uh, trying to figure out WTF, it's busy, but better. So uh, a lot of the, the issues for me were the unknown. You know, you've known me long enough. I would rather be told no than I don't know. Like, I, I, at least there's an answer. At least I understand what's happening. But there were a lot of, I don't know, figure it out. Like, you know, figure it out, but don't have the authority to figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that, that was stressful for a while. So that's good. Um, other than that, I, as far as I'm concerned, I went from the Friday chill stream to this. Like, I don't know. I think I, it, I don't remember yesterday other than I was outside for some of the day mowing and raking. And now I'm here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like. I think my wife roofied me or something. I don't know. I think that's entirely possible. She uh, she wanted you to do things that you would not be able to live with. So last week, like I haven't watched anybody's streams. I haven't been doing some of the stuff I need to do, even for Legion of Myth. I mean, luckily it's not front end stuff, so people don't notice. But yeah, I'm falling behind on a few things. So uh, hopefully this week. And then, of course, you know, the government might shut down. And who do I work for? That government thing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how do house how do house payments get made when you don't get paid? <laughs> so, from your non-existent savings. Well, I'm well. I have investments, but uh, you know, I I don't want to tap into them. They're not where I want them to be. That's for dang sure. So, tapping into them would be bad, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So, there's a potential furlough coming up for for government employees, and you know, I get it. Uh, I think our government is bloated. I think there are too many people in it. I think even the office that I work in could probably take a 10% cut. I know that would make a lot of them go, what? Uh, I'm not going to say where, because, you know, I'm not calling out particular people, but I also think that that 10% cut would come with a 20% reduction in stupid job taskings. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, I a lot and this is government this isn't my job this is government remember i've worked for the government for 30 years dod for 30 years in different aspects all, all over the world for the different services and i would say across the board dod one of the reasons i got out of the air force one of like 500 but one of the reasons i got out of the air force was people wanting shit for the sake of that's supposed to cost people wanting stuff for the sake of wanting and that's what happens when you work in a in a system where uh the accountability is there, but also not there. So I'm accountable, but somebody, you know, who makes, you know, $178,000 a year, the max, you know, government wage isn't so accountable, which is annoying. Hmm. So I never, well, have, I, like, I, real quickly, I never have problems with general officers, general officers, all of them that I've worked for throughout my entire career, there have been good ones and bad ones, but I've never had a problem with them. It's always the lieutenant colonels and majors. Hmm. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, the, especially the lieutenant colonels and majors there, they have the eye on that star. And or the bird they, at least, yeah. Yeah, and they have, well, no, if, if you're a major and, and you decide this is my career, you have an eye on a star. I mean, it's, it's still in the distance, but that, that, that's, your, that's what you're shooting for. But uh, um, they're, they're still trying to make their name and they don't know how to do it yet and they end up screwing up. That you know i i, I get well, it's that. the politics side of it if this general's happy with me i'll get a, a, a yeah, good position yeah. my next position you're not will be doing good. the right thing you're doing what's right for you yeah and that that's where you get in trouble and i i do also agree the idea that uh if you if you take away resources as in in this instance people from an organization it either dies or becomes more efficient 
yeah. and more efficiency that and then you get streamline it and that's exactly where you know how you want one way to increase the the well, uh, part of the problem comes down the to the fact that these cuts usually affect equipment not people because of hr and it's impossible to fire uh, you know it's not impossible but it's it's hard to fire a government employee you know th those kind of things so when they take money away it doesn't come away from people it comes away from equipment well if you don't have the equipment to do your job what are you doing <laughs> doing what you did for two years well that isn't exactly what i've done but to some regard yeah um so and it's because of the political system. I'm not blaming a person. This is the culture. There's no one person that is at fault for this, but it's that culture. You remember being in the Air Force where it's like, hurry up and spend all the money. I don't care what it's on because we won't get it next year because yeah. it's all this short term nonsense. So the same thing happens to us. So if they cut us, they're not going to cut people. They're going to cut funding and make our jobs harder which makes us go and do all the crap we now have to do that i'm complaining about you know making people happy because the mission still has to go on but we won't have the right tools to do it so i'm going to be breaking the tools that you, you see that vicious circle I so do. again it's it's i want to stress here it's not necessarily the people and it's not because i'm scared that they're watching i couldn't care less but it's not the people i work for i actually do work for good people but they're in a in a dumb situation so yeah. oh crafty every time you see the eyeballs down here <laughs> the answer is yes what? except for the volumes down and no i did not see the viking score because i was talking because this comes first but yes it is down is on right down there so when heathen dog's talking i will be watching the game as well <laughs> actually by that point it's probably over but uh, probably yeah. So, um, anywho, the, yeah, uh, then like I said yesterday, I did yard work, and I think that just made my brain fry, you know, because 900 degrees out now. Today's a beautiful, I don't even want to stream today. Today is an amazingly beautiful day, at least it was when I was out there like an hour ago. Yeah, the sun's out, but it isn't 400 degrees. It feels like a nice Midwest summer day. I'm like, dude, I want to be outside today. And here I am streaming. <laughs> yep. Damn it, I got to do this. So speaking of, I got to do this. What are we talking about in Coriolis today? We got to be near the end, right? Today is the last day of Coriolis. Oh, look at that. So um, what we're going to be doing in Coriolis today is I'm going to be finishing up. And this was a tough one for me because it's very hard to keep that, that line between why did I even bother talking about this? Because I didn't say enough to going down a rabbit hole. Then four hours later, we're still in, you know, the first paragraph, so to speak. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Well, I don't want either because I want the videos to be meaningful for folks. So, I mean, once again, I got a note card with telling me what paragraphs to look at and so forth. So uh, I hope it works out. But um, yeah, this was a really tough one to figure out exactly what I wanted to bring up and cover. But what I realized that uh, what I decided to do was I brought up the stuff that reinforced things that we already talked about or indicated something like, hey, I don't think this was talked about like at all i need you to understand like the third horizon isn't fully populated with a trillion people on each planet there's a reason those nomads exist there are places to find you might imagine if earth only had a million people on it there'd be a lot of space for you to colonize yeah i mean uh ju just the way that the earth in real life was populated 80 percent of the population of the planet lives within 200 was 100 or 200 miles of a coast i thought it was even closer than that but you might be right yeah yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I, I could be obviously wrong about the, about the the distance, but I'm not wrong about the 80 percent live near right. a coast. You're That's right. absolutely true. That means the the interior of any large continent, like say Africa, South America, U.S., Asia, 
they're going to be practically one person per mile if. So, yeah, I get it. All right. So, yeah, that's and then uh, we're going to talk about Coriolis Station. It was even harder for me to get through that chapter, not because it's bad, because I could see literally all the information being completely relevant or none of it relevant. And so again, parsing that out. So that's what we're going to talk about today, though. Hopefully I do a good enough job. Again, my job here with this and again, only the people who are watching the live stream are going to hear this. But uh, my job here isn't to read the entire book to you. It's to give you the information in the book to, for you to determine if this is something you want to do, but in a deep dive format. Let's actually dive into what some of this stuff means. And I think uh, from what people have been telling me, the Coriolis has been the best one we've done so far because I haven't skipped some things that I was skipping previously. Okay. So this one, it's just, it is what, this isn't game rules today. It's going to be all fluff, but uh, it'll help you understand what Coriolis, what goes on Coriolis Station, what goes on uh, or with the people. We are not covering each of the planets. <laughs> No, no, that that would be what's the word tedious. Yeah, yeah. that's it. This is this is an uh, I wouldn't call an overview, but this is a, a general idea of life in, in the third horizon. Right. And so next week, barring Kevin and Sean deciding they want to pop in because they have a standing, you know, penciled in invitation for like every week they want. Um, we start Forbidden Lands and I've had a bunch of people send me messages like, dude, why aren't you doing Forbidden Lands? Like, give me a minute. I'm getting there. So Forbidden Land starts next week, and I know that there are some people really interested about that. So okay, come on, well, read the entire book. <laughs> doing the uh, co conversion book two, Pantheons of the Multiverse, and technically it's a riffs book, but it it has built-in conversion. It's a conversion book, so as built-in conversion side, it can go into any Palladium game. Now I'm not going to talk about each individual god. I might give one or two examples, but that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to describe what are the gods as far as palladium is concerned uh new rccs that that come about because of the existence of this book and how that can alter your campaign and at the very end how do you play gods in your campaign and there's plenty of ways to do it uh, there's going to be uh ethical and and moral you know d discussions on on uh, what gods should and should not do stuff like that uh, but mostly it's going to be me talking to game masters about how they put gods in their campaign and possible pitfalls that could happen if you introduce them incorrectly or make a, a mistake too far left, too far right. And then now it's, it's a giant crap show. And, and now you're not I'll, talking political left and right. No, we got to put no. that out there. <laughs> no, I'm not talking. There's no, I'm not talking political left and right. I'm, I'm just talking, you know, the, yeah. the course. Here's the course. It's straight ahead. You veer left, you veer right. You're off course. You're screwed. Yeah. And now and now you've ruined what once could have been a great campaign. And now it's just all bogged down in heavenly minutia. You don't want that. So I'm going to try and help you navigate that. And that is what I'm going to talk about. Psycho says he wants our take on fantasy age. Um. I th it may have been you. Somebody uh, mentioned that, I want to say, way earlier in the year, maybe even the end of last year. That's not on my list of things to look at, but with enough you know, poking and prodding, we can do that. Just understand that we're changing a little bit up for next year. This doesn't mean we're never doing a deep dive again or never doing an overview. In fact, I'd like to have at least one deep dive or, or overview per episode for some sort of consistency but we're going next year we're going to incorporate in a bunch more how-tos like specifically how to do certain things maybe right. one week's me one week's him maybe every week is i do one game he does a different game i don't know we haven't figured that out yet but we want to have a bunch more how-tos for you know specific how-tos for next year uh, and, but and the reason we haven't done that before is very easy to explain 
Lack of bravery. Lack of bravery? Yes, because when you do an in-depth, step-by-step how-to, all of the assholes come out of the woodwork and it's like, no, it's not quite correct. It's not 100% oh. correct. It's not... And then, oh, my God, the, the whole thing is, is, is uh, just destroyed. Okay, here you go. Here is what, what's going to happen next year with me. I'm going to give in-depth, step-by-step how-tos. Now, I'm going to say it right now. Is this the only way to do it? No, dummy. It's not the only way to do it. It's how I do it, and it works for me. You want to alter it? Go ahead. Is it going to work the same? No, but it might work better for, guess who? You. The idea is to do it by the book and then throw our twist on it from there so that you can see how the book says it, but then why we may do things differently. So, yeah, the one that gets me the most, I remember the champion's character creation thing. Oh, man. There was this (laughs) one guy who I I got no problem with him. But he came in here and he tore because the problem with champions is you need at least two eyes on champions or hero system character creation because it's so much math, so easy to make a simple, mysteriously hidden mathematical error and then come up wrong. And if you make in one spot, it propagates through. Yes, yes. The problem gets worse as you go on. If you make a mistake early in character creation, by the time you're at the end, it's a shit show. You make a mistake at the end, you won't catch it. Still wrong, but you may not catch it because you're only one person, one set of eyes. Anytime I made a champion's character, Heathen Dog was here, Garthon was there. All right, let's do this. <laughs> They're like, no, no, you need, yeah, no, it's it's minus one quarter. You got one half. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> then that that changes the entire character. Wait, wait, you're supposed to be a 250 character, 250 point character. Why is there only 149? What happened? Well, 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 but here's the, here's the other thing. And I think this is what that guy did to you is you made a character and you went through the step-by-steps, but he's like, well, actually, and he found a way by using some of the other, like the multi-power, whatever the fuck those things are called. Yeah. Damn, Do don't cost an RPG digest. Yeah. There's a more efficient way to, uh, uh, to put that together. So while, while you weren't wrong, it wasn't optimum. And this is why I don't like variable power pools. It's why I don't like multi-powers. It's like, just give me the points (laughs) and I'll figure it out. Yeah. And I'll spend them and give me points. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But it could do so much more. Yeah. But then it wouldn't be it. And and, and then I'd be confused. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, I was wrong couple of times i did do the math wrong a couple oh, of did you? Okay. the rest of it was yes you could do it more efficiently if you do it this way which doesn't mean i'm wrong which is a happy day but <laughs> also means that i gave an example that wasn't as good as i could possibly come up with for you guys and i felt bad about that i didn't lose sleep over it don't get me wrong but i felt <laughs> bad about it. The, the the fun thing about that though is you might be sitting there like why would you ever play a game like that because a game like that you can make exactly what you want i actually like it like i don't like the the point system and i i quibble over the uh, i wouldn't even say quibble i don't like the phase system of the hero system either but mm-hmm. i played the game i enjoyed the game ocv dcv doesn't bother me uh 
I like the fact that I could make what I want, even though it took until after I'd never played it again, since then <laughs> to understand it. what was going on. Because <laughs> I remember arguing yeah. with these guys tooth and nail, like, I want, uh, like, dude, that's just range killing attack this. No, no, I want this ability. Like, yep, that's just range killing attack this. What if I had a gun? Yep, range killing attack. That doesn't make any damn sense to me. <laughs> like, it took until after I was done playing it for me to get it. Now I'm like, oh. Oh, it's, it's all cosmetic. It, okay. You, you guys, you were, you were punching that in to me but i just trying, like, trying to get have you get it but you just hit that wall with your yeah, forehead over and over and over again we, uh, we gave you a sledgehammer you wouldn't use it i think that was the problem is you were sledgehammering me and i react to that so i mean you weren't being you guys weren't being mean at all you're like you weren't even yelling at me like you probably should have at some point but it's like slow just write this down fine <laughs> and i had my goo gun so there we go <laughs> all righty uh gurps doesn't have frameworks yeah um i haven't actually made a character in gurps i played gurps i want to say third edition maybe a second back in the nine uh early 90s look i know a lot of people have heartburn with gurps but i'm starting to figure out why and i think this is a conversation i want to have with you at some point maybe even have a couple other people on here sorry for delaying this intro but this just hit me and i've been thinking about this for about six months um people complain about gurps just like I complain about Pathfinder. Sure. But I almost defeated my own argument with Pathfinder when it comes to playstyle. And I think GURPS is the same thing, but I would need somebody with a lot of GURPS ex experience to explain, the, uh, to say this. And here's what it is I've been saying this a bunch recently. Go watch my, um, GM's Alcove's uh, Lost Runes of Fandelver. I don't know, whatever that. Uh, I forget the name of the adventures. I, I, I put links out there at some point. I'll grab them again. Where I was in that game. Now, you know that I don't like Pathfinder because you play a character sheet and not a character. It's like, it's, I would rather play 5e D&D than 3. That's like, even though I don't like either, I don't think either are D&D. But at least in 5e, it makes some semblance of trying to have a character in roleplay. 3e is just a character sheet. And when I watch people play it, that's what they're doing. Even Bruce says it. He wants a skirmish game, so he plays 3e. Though you could argue that maybe 4e would be better for that. Well, GURPS people complain about the same thing. Like, everything's related to these skills, and you got to figure out if you have the right skill or not the right skill. But when I played Pathfinder, or Pathfinder 2, technically, um, with GM Selco, I ignored all that stuff. I didn't say, for my first action, I'm going to walk 10 feet. Okay, uh, for my second action, I'm going to swing at the orc. Now, that gives me a, a third action, right? Okay, yeah, so for the third action, I didn't do any of that. That's how I see people playing it. Even people who role play, that's how I see them playing it. Okay, for action one, I'm going over here. For action two, I'm going to trip him. For action three, I'm going to shut the door in his face. I, I just don't talk like that when I play. And I started thinking about that more and more about, wait a minute, every time I hear people complain about GURPS, they're like, oh, you have to, you have, to have these skills and it's, it's so crunchy and you have to figure it out. I'm wondering if that's just how people play it. I don't know. I mean, again, I, my experience with GURPS was one time back in the 90s, and I don't remember having any issues with it. But uh, I, I would just say that as a game master, just you should be the one to understand the actions. Let the player characters do their thing. Heathen Dog runs forward. He reaches out to choke Max, and then he wants to take him and slam him into the floor. Okay, that's your third action. You had to move. You had your second action. Max, roll. Okay, you, you didn't resist. Now Heathen Dog gets to trip you and puts you on the ground. There you go. You know, something like that. You just move on with it. With it. Um, so, again, I, the game facilitates bad play, but I don't think it's necessary, at least with the Pathfinder. I don't know about GURPS. So, anyway. 
Does that make sense, that, that discussion yeah, at some point? Yeah. Okay. All right, so I kind of droned that on a little bit. We're 25 minutes in. You ready to get to... Uh... I am ready. All right. Well, first of all, before we do that, we got to thank some people. Oh, thanks some folk. So I want to thank all you wonderful people who support us monetarily. A little tangent here. Uh, this is coming up on the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> Violence tells everything was telling me about fantasy age. Okay. Well, that's good to know, Violence. Thank you. Uh, at the end of the year, and every YouTuber is probably, well, I shouldn't say every, there's always an exception. Every is an absolute word. But most YouTubers at the end of the year start to see a drop off in everything. You start to see a drop off in subscribers. You see a drop off in view times. You see a drop off and definitely in, in uh, monetization. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with, you know, fiscal year stuff. A lot of it has to do with People Christmas coming up. What's that? People being busy. Yeah. Well, you'd think they'd be busy over the summer. Well, no, I mean, uh, the over the summer is busy fun. But oh, hopefully, hopefully that hopefully they think that you know watching YouTube videos and interacting with us is fun. That'd be great. So it, it's lumped in the same thing. But at the end of the year, you've got three major holidays all butted up against each other. I'm not even counting Halloween, so you yeah, because people, yeah, whatever. But uh, and it involves family and obligation, yep. and that takes precedence. I get it. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's why I want to give a, a heartier thank out, thank you out there for folks, because, you know, we've had some good supporters here and uh, between Super Chats. We didn't have a giveaway this last Friday, but that's fine. I don't expect there to be one every Friday. We got close, but unfortunately, we didn't quite make it. Uh, but your gracious donations help provide giveaways. And guess what we're going to talk about this week on the members on Hey Heathen Dog, this Friday's members only. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mark that on your calendar. This Friday is members only. Uh, I'm actually going to show off a lot of the stuff that I plan to give away. So uh, you can see the condition. If you're a member, you can see the condition. Uh, yeah, that's all I want to talk about for that. So <laughs> anyway, your, your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back to Legion Myth community as a whole. And I hope those giveaways, you know, work for you guys. We have nearly 4,700 YouTube subscribers. That's right. We are growing still, and we're thankful for each and every one of you. When we hit 5,000 subs, I'm going to have the, here, have Max's crap giveaway. You have to say it like that, too. You have to, yeah. Yeah, as well as some gift cards for our international viewers. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm going to show you guys some of that on the members only. Check the description below for the links to the various Legion Miss sites, social media, Discord, merch, etc. Oops. Hey, oh, never mind. It's going to go into things I don't have to do anymore. So uh, let me. OK, you can go ahead and dance like a monkey for a moment while I get my screen set up. OK, let's see here. Uh, L says, uh, Heathen Dog, if you just do it for fun, you're doing it wrong. That's actually a true statement. If I was just doing it for my own edification and, you know, superiority complex and fun and yeah, then it would be wrong. But I'm doing it because I, I believe that uh, my, you know, 35 years of experience in role playing several kinds of different games is, you know, g gives me a perspective that I think you all benefit from. Now, will everyone benefit? Of course not. Not everyone's going to benefit from my experience. People will think I'm wrong. That's fine. As long as you don't say I'm not allowed to say what I'm supposed, what I want to say, then that's fine. But you know, I I think that a lot of people have fun listening to me talk about my nonsense and actually learn something in the process. That's the other reason why I do it. You know, you know, it's even more fun on that is in real life when it comes to playing the games and so forth. You are more hardline than I am. 
but everybody feels that I'm more hardline when it comes to uh uh because I don't know, because the Friday night show streamer, because you know, I rant more or whatever it is, you know, whatever it happens to be, but everybody thinks everybody thinks that I'm the hardline one when in reality you're much in more reality, hardline. It's me, but I, I just uh, come across as I'm being playful or I'm kidding. And the secret is I'm doing neither. <laughs> but they don't see it, which is great. It allows me to exist in the world being more me and <laughs> less not me. So that's that's awesome. And hello to Patriotic Gestalt, who's over there watching on Rumble. Thank you. Uh, I'll try to pay attention. Rumble doesn't pop up over on this screen. But anyway, let's get ready for... Let's get ready to Rumble, huh? I'm not, I, I, did I just get a copyright strike? Michael Buffer, don't come after me! Don't come after me! No. All right, today we wrap up Coriolis with two segments, two mini-segments, two chapters. How do I want to call this? Yeah, two chapters, because that's what it is in the book. In this first one... We are going to talk about the people of the Third Horizon. Now, you might be like, oh, why do I care? No, we're not going to dive into every planet. We're not going to look at every little nuance. What we're going to give you is kind of the day-to-day -day how Third Horizon feels as a potential player character in this universe. And it will help, hopefully help you think about how you'd want to play your character in one way, shape, fashion, or another. That's the wrong button. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Chill Stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. My wife yelled at me about that. She says, you know you still say the Friday Night Chill Stream on there, right? That's like, I do? Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, you do. I'm going to have to redo that video at some point. Well, everybody still calls it the Friday Night Chill stream. So, anywho, all right, let's uh, let's get to where my page notes there. All right. So there's our wonderful Coriolis book that we're going to see for the second to last time here. People of the Horizon. Now, we could dive down some crazy rabbit holes here. We're not going to do that. Um, I've picked some certain chapters and certain paragraphs that I want to cover. The rest of it, you can... You can get on your own if you want to read the book. We've already talked enough about the first come. This basically just goes in to say, hey, the first come are a little more uh, uh, zealotous. There we go. Is that a word? It's a word now. Uh, then the Zenithians. Starfarers talks about, you know, floating around the stars. Uh, where's the one that I want to start with? Uh, hey, scroll. Don't care about the language. We're going to start with the humanites. Why? Because we didn't really talk about them a lot. This isn't the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, right? There was a Hanna-Barbera. No, I didn't even know that there was. Well, maybe it is. We'll find out. The humanites are a scorned and despised group. Is that the Hanna-Barbera cartoon? No. Okay. <laughs> they, are, they are modified humans created to perform certain functions or endure, endure certain hardships better than base humans. Even the plebeians, whose work is almost the same as that of the humanites, look down upon them. So if you're a serf, you're just a pleb? He's like, oh, I believe I'm not a humanite. Yeah. <laughs> the humanites often live 
isolated lives in remote colonies on hostile worlds or distant space stations, like the Serb, for example. Hmm. Is that a play in words? Some humanites live as nomads after their employment, or masters have disappeared, like the Jinghur or Lubao. Recognizing a humanite without advanced sensors and biometric scanners can be hard, so why try? Tiny sculpts like reptilian third uh, eyelids, extremity hearts, what? Wait, wait, extremity means outside. Hearts yeah. on the outside? I don't that's, want that. <laughs> no, that sounds like a bad genetic modif modification. That sounds like a horrible mistake. Unless Someone it's like a Doctor Who thing where it's a second one or something. I don't know. Yeah, but not in the extremities. I don't want I don't want my heart literally in my hand. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> I'm the ood. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's horrible. Uh, okay, well, anyway, that was just that just grossed me up. But yeah, tiny sculpts like re uh, reptilian third eyelids, extremity hearts, or modified glands are invisible. I don't think there's another one over here. Nope. Oh, wait. Uh, to the naked man, eye. 616, uh, do you mean Herculoids? Yes, I do. It, he, the humanites reminded me of the Herculoids. And I, it popped in my head and it came out my mouth. While larger modifications usually are the result of cosmetic sculpting on Coriolis, the independent station Alim, or in the Algolian Meat District. According to the stories of some of the more primitive peoples, there are humanites that have lost almost all of their humanity and become more like animals. Oh, that isn't Shadowrun or anything, is it? Rumors well, it makes sense, right? I mean, you know, if, if you're ostracized from society enough, you're going to divorce from that society. And if the society yep. is humans, well, there you go. Rumors claim that the Nekatra are actually the result of the Legion experimenting with lupine and biocode. So we have werewolves. Awesome. Oh, that's one of the things I am not going through. I will not be covering creatures. Okay. So if you wanted to know about the djinn, buy the book. Yeah. Although we'll talk just a smidgen about them, I think, in this chapter. Um, okay, let's move on to the next thing. Okay, we have a long part coming up here, so let's see if we can breeze through it without boring you guys. But I thought that this page, kind of the... This is what the whole premise of this video is about. So we're going to cover this whole page, and there's no pictures on here, jerks. So there's going to be a bit of information. So let's get through this. Life for the inhabitants of the Third Horizon is governed just as much by the icon faith as it is by location and situation. One of the things we'll cover in a little bit is uh, there are local icons as well. We just don't talk about them because, you know, it's like, uh, like you know, in Japanese... Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, my wife talks about how Japan has like 10,000 gods. Like, she always jokes that there's a toilet god in Japan. Yeah. Oh, there's also a toilet, a Korean toilet ghost that is just frightful. Just well, that ex that explains hemorrhoids. Uh, <laughs> well, or actually, it, it strangles you with her, with its hair and then pulls your dead body into the uh, pit of poop that you're pooping in. It's not, it's not good, but that's one of them. All right, well... <laughs> Most people share roughly the same daily routines. Now you know what one of them is. And the division of the day into four watches, morning, day, evening, and night. Now, the four watches isn't pressed as hard in this game as it is, say, Coriolis and Twilight, uh, 2000, some other free league games. But in typical fashion, six hours long. Uh, and they're called watches here. Other games are called shifts. I think in, in Alien, they're called shifts. I forget what... Uh, actually, Mutant Zero didn't call them anything. We had to look that one up, remember? Mm -hmm. So, uh, The morning and day watches are devoted to work, and the evening watch to one's family. The icons are leisure. 
During the night watch, decent people sleep, but the party life continues for the privileged students and criminals. So all in the same. You could have just said no. Right. True believers start each watch with prayer, but visits to a chapel or shrine usually take place at the end of the day watch or during the evening. In larger cities on Coriolis, life is rather easy in regards to supplies, food, entertainment, and information, but the lives of colonists, stationaries, nomads, and slummers are harder as one or more of these resources may be scarce. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You're, you're not going to uh, go pray at the, at the beginning of every, of every uh, shift if your family is starving. You're going to go find food. Yeah, right. I get it. A day in the colony. Planetside colonists struggle each and every day. Keeping the colony safe requires constant work on domes, survival tents, or longhouses. Resources must be gathered and stockpiled regardless of whether it is lumber, xenoanimals, minerals, or artifacts. The day usually starts with a communal breakfast and prayer before the arduous labor begins. There's hardly anything in the way of entertainment apart from what can be imparted by free traders, hollow stories, news, or at best, microtags with some bulletin shows. The night is spent guarding the colony against external threats. Now, somebody out there might be saying, why are you reading this? This just seems like mundane stuff. Because did you notice the big dichotomy? Are you starting on Coriolis Station as a rich guy? Or are you playing a nomad? Or are you a mercenary that's somewhere in the middle? These are giving you, this is giving you the concept. Also, one of the things I don't think I did a good job with is explaining to you that the whole third horizon, and I can show you the map at the end of this again, is it fully colonized? There are places for you to go and hardships to have that aren't just space stations and people. Like I was telling Heathen Dog, I think before the stream started, or before this video started anyway, uh, imagine if you came to Earth and there were only a million people here. Well, that's a lot of people. Not if you consider the entire planet. No, I mean, a, we have a million people on the entire planet. If you space them out as far apart as possible, it'd be like one person every 50, 100 miles, maybe. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be, it, it, if you ran into a person, it would be an event. Right. So obviously there are little like communal centers and landing, uh, landing space and so forth, but that still means that most of a planet is ready to be either colonized or strip mined or whatever. So how about the space station? A day in the life of the stationary is similar to that of the colonists, but is centered on the space station's endless cycle of docking, loading, repairs, and service. The cold of the space, vacuum, radiation storms, and many other threats force the stationaries to live and work in shifts during all watches. When one group begins their morning watch, another group crawls into bed. The lack of space on board means that food and supplies must be rationed. So, uh, what's uh, the expense? Perishable goods, other than what can be grown in the hydroponic greenhouses on board, are rare luxuries. Of course, there's probably a little smuggling going on, a little what for, you know. It's good to be a stevedore sometimes. How did this, how is this guy a stevedore? All he did was move boxes all day for his entire life. Retire as a rich man. Because not all those boxes were technically legal. <laughs> sometimes things went missing and... <laughs> Sold on the black market. How'd that happen? I don't know. It, it, it fell off of the space truck. I don't know. <laughs> right. The supply of news and entertainment, such as holodrama, is usually good unless a station is very remote. Remember, Coriolis isn't the only station. It's just the center. Right. It's the primary one. Okay. Get over here. Doo -doo -doo -doo. A day in the swarm. What's the swarm? Well, for the nomad. Okay, now we know what the swarm is. For the nomad, every day is a journey, or so the saying goes. 
The nomads work just as hard as the colonists and stationaries, but enjoy the freedom of waking up to new valleys. Oh, is that how you? Oases. Yeah, isn't, I thought there should be an I in Oasis. Am I wrong? Oh, anyway. Oases, moons, or systems, depending on how the group travels. Now, this is that whole thing of like, I'm homeless, so I'm so free. Are you? Yeah. Well, there <laughs> it's it's the whole it's the whole Ben Franklin thing, but you know, in reality, sure, you have lots of freedom, but you have no security. Whereas people on the station or on a on a on a civilized planet, they may have less freedom. But they have much more security, like uh, we can go to sleep and not wait, wake up dead as a significant percentage chance in my day. You and know? both theoretically have their benefits and drawbacks. Sure. Yeah. Depends on how you want to live, man, or yep. how you have to live. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them have want to's and have to's. Mm hmm. Uh, where is it? The day is not structured around the watches like that of other people, although the care for the life support the hydroponics and the reactors is very strict. Huh? I wonder why <laughs> we're in space. Let's see. I don't want to breathe. I don't want water. And Oh, let's not move anywhere to, you know, maybe land to get some of those. If we run out, the available entertainment is often indigenous to the swarm, such as leather ball. Is that like a, what it's was that? Basketball or football? No, no. It's a triad from old Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay, there's like okay. hockey and basketball and one. <laughs> uh, the available uh, storytelling, dancing or Tarab Tarab performances. News and information are acquired at stops along the way. And what you don't know, you don't know, as the smiling Afrit would say. OK, day in the city. In the cities, your social status determines everything. From the slummers at the bottom of the ladder to the privilege at the very top. In between the two live the plebeians, the entrepreneurs, and the bureaucrats. A day in the life of a slummer is a naked fight for survival, gross. Whether it's about finding food, shelter, or a safe place to sleep, it never ends. Alms from the faithful make it easier, but never easy. The slummers' perfect opposites are the privileged. Rich business owners, emirs, Factionaries and high-ranking officials who live off their savings or other people's savings. That's how I would do it. Yeah. For whom a day is usually spent trying to expand one's personal wealth. One's personal wealth. Power or influence. The privileged are the only ones in the horizon who have proper leisure time, perhaps devoted to hunting, racing, or just partying. Some of the privileged apply themselves to studying, research, or exploration, although usually as patrons for others who are less well-off. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go there. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so, Eden Dog, can you go explore this for me and then bring yeah, everything I mean, back? Yeah, if if uh, if you give me the money to do it, is it really my accomplishment or yours? Well, it depends who's talking. If you're talking, it's definitely yours. <laughs> Between the two extremes are the plebeians. The day, again, comma, inside uh, quotes. Yeah, the day laborers, those who make sure the wheels keep turning. From the lowliest factory worker, the carriers in the jungle and mountains, the palace cleaners to plantation workers, uh oh, light globe divers and dock workers. They're the ordinary people of the horizon cities. Their days are filled with hard work from morning to evening, interrupted only by short breaks and silent prayer. Sleeping is everyone's favorite hobby, with <laughs> hollow dramas and drugs being uh, the runners up. Um, this is Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, moisture farmer. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to put this in the context of well, why does this matter if I'm a, an adventurer? I'm a you know I'm a character. 
Well, I can answer that. I mean, that that's easy enough. It doesn't matter where you are now. You're like you as a player character, all of all of your characters in your entire group are on a ship and you are you've decided to be mercenaries. Great. But that's not where you grew up. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up a slummer? Did you grow up a plebeian? Did you grow up where your father was a was a businessman? This is going to influence how your character sees and reacts to the world. It's going to influence your play style. And luckily you get to choose it at, at for most of the time you get to choose this. So you can play however you want, but that's going to influence your background and this is how it does that. And, I, and I'm going to, uh, Heathen Dog says uh, it influences your playstyle. I'm going to say it should. And even though his is more definitive than mine, I know that the way that I say it is telling you how to play, and that's what I want to do. <laughs> it, it should influence your playstyle. But you don't need a 30-page backstory. In fact, we've already talked about character creation in Coriolis. It's just a sentence, but it's enough to know where you came from that now determines why you might have some skills you have and why you might act a certain way in certain environments. And the Game Master can use this as well. Sure. All right, let's move on to the next one, page 232. Yes, I'm skipping some stuff here. I'll let you see the chapter headings. Technology isn't a big deal. We covered a bunch of that already. It doesn't say anything, oh my God. Uh, important in there until we get to yeah it says oh, wait no no I, I i have one question about communication which i think is going to be important to gameplay okay and you just passed it yep. but uh yeah. is communication faster than light is it light speed communication is it instantaneous like some kind of ansible type thing or how it's does that it, work it's uh no it's not faster than light so okay. that's why the people who pass along information through the portals Okay, so it's it's regular, you know, light speed communication that we have now, you know, radio, whatever. It just yeah. you you have to wait to get it in bursts from incoming or passing by ships. Yes. Um, okay. So, well, here, let's let's read this here just to make sure I'm not wrong. Um, and I say that because. I don't remember there being faster than like communication in here, but in case I miss something uh, to communicate in a city or on a station, most people use messengers or communicators if they can afford them. You hear that? No. Okay, good. Um, space stations have relay transmitters on board that make sure all communicators can reach each other. As long as their users have the identification... Oh my god. Identification codes necessary to find the intended receiver. So, on a ship, that's almost like the Star Trek thing where you push it, hey, Mr. Spock, and Mr. Spock mysteriously could hear it, and it didn't echo through the entire ship. I was right, wondering right. about yeah. that. You are an authorized user. You can talk to any other authorized user. I get it. Uh, newer cities usually have enough relays to make communications fairly reliable, although the variation between cities or systems can be big. So now we're still talking planetary. Sure. Supposedly, uh, Lord Yenid Pasdasmaku. Sure. If you name a Lefty. character like that in my game, I'm calling you Bob. <laughs> Had to Lord wait Bob. three whole days to get an audience with the Matriarch Amira because his communicator was unable to reach the guard towers in the Icon City. Okay. Um, it doesn't actually say about. Yeah outside city or station communication so okay, i know the, i know the bulletins the bulletins updated uh news and couriers news has always been distributed by word of mouth uh let's see if it says uh, when the systems began communicating again free traders were sent to the first uh were, were the first to start spreading news and rumors between systems but it's the bulletin which really organized interstellar communication okay there we go when it started supplying portal stations with their probes 
The ownership of the probes also means that they are the ones who determine which news to spread. Well, probes true. go through the portals and relays on the other side to transmit the data to new probes, the next portal, and so on. There we go. That's okay, I, I forgot okay. about the so, probes, but I knew it was it was with regard to the portals. All right, all right. So it's not specific ships; it's probes that are owned by factions, whatever, and they transmit information that they want yes. people to know, which is bad you, because you that, could that right right there. Now we know that there is no freedom of speech in the third horizon it isn't it, it doesn't exist well the, you can the, pay the, for, you can pay to have something put on the bulletin yeah but they don't have to they can literally just take your money and oh no it didn't go to these systems because i didn't want it to the conglomerate yeah now yeah. W- with that said there are enough like the nomads floating around they spread news but that's yeah, just slow. not instantaneous yeah yeah it's like it, it's still quicker than you might think because if you say, uh, I pass information, I give you this letter, because we're going to do it physically. I give you this letter, I want you to take it to somebody in another system. Okay. Okay, you've got to do launch and get to the ship. We'll just say that's a day. Sure. And then you go from here to the portal between a day and a week. Sure. You go through the portal. That portal transport is, uh, how long did they say it was? Uh, it's a month prep. But it's instantaneous travel, but it's a month preparation. Well, it doesn't have to be a month prep, but yeah, that's it's, it it's, up, to it's, up, to, it's up to, yeah, up to a month. It depends on your role. Um, and if you find a caravan and if, you know, so, yeah. but the point, let's, let's just say you, you knock this out in time. Let's just see how fast this can go. So you get there. Hey, the portal's opening up for you, or there are people going through and you, or you can just pay the fee to go on yourself. To, you're but rich. Yeah. So you go through, you, you're there on the other side. What was the travel time? Was it a day or an hour? I forget what the travel time was. It's like a day or an hour. I forgot. Like you have to go into cryo sleep, but uh, you get to the other side and then you just repeat the process. So it could be a couple of weeks, but it isn't like it takes three years right, to get something there to you. It's not like we're beaming it from here to Alpha Centauri. Well, four and a half years later, it'll finally get there. Right. Okay. So, um, and then with a chain of free traders, eventually going, uh, getting from sender to receiver package usually takes a week. Well, there we go. And it was a week in there somewhere. I just couldn't remember. I didn't remember that was in this paragraph. So I just saw that there. So sender to receiver for me to give it to you takes about a week to get it somewhere else. Now culture, uh, 32. Well, Okay. I'm going to read the first paragraph here, and then we're just going to look at the headline so you can see what's here. Okay. Because we don't have to talk about all music and song. But culture is a big deal, so much that it is a skill on your character sheet. The icons and nothing else are what keep the horizon together, at least according to the old first-come Proverbs, followed by culture and family. Seth Magnolium, I'm going with Magnolium. I know that's not what it says, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, The famous agitator summed it up well when he said, the icons first, family second, and games for the people. That sounds very Roman. Except for be emperor first, wouldn't it? Uh, The different systems share some cultural references, but what counts as good or popular differs from system to system or even from faction to faction. The blood operas are appreciated almost exclusively in the Zenithian hegemony, while conservative factions such as the Order hold chant choirs in high regard. Oh, great. We can. Hey, you want to go to a Gregorian chant with me? Yeah, sounds like sounds like a great time. uh, Who's going to smuggle the vodka? (laughs) You know, like, no, no, it doesn't sound like a great time at all. It sounds bad. 
<laughs> and so there's chapter here on or paragraphs here on music and song literature and storytelling why is this in a gaming book because culture is very important in this game we're just not going to dive into all of it all there, see this game is not telling you that you must play a certain way but it's giving you information that they hope will convince you to play a certain way yeah it's all it's also a lot of us myself included i lived in kuwait for a year i worked in kuwait i still couldn't tell you a lot about arabic culture so i would actually remove a lot of this <laughs> just because i don't want to deal with it and and handle it wrong but for those of you who are good with it or enjoy this You've got all these little, and it's only a paragraph. It's a long paragraph, but it's just a paragraph to give you an idea of what to expect. Obviously, lots of picture of dress, appearance. Um, yep. And what's, what's the next paragraph I want to go to? 240. Wait a minute. Oh, we, oh, crap. Okay. These are the months, and we are going to talk about time. I can't remember if it's this uh, video or next video. But uh, there you go. That's... Uh, each one is 37 days. Okay. That's a, that's a month. They call it a cycle. So third horizon of Coriolis time is usually measured in cycle or Coriolis cycles instead of years. Uh, sorry. Cycles are years. I, uh, we looked up what a month was. I just know it was 37 days. Uh, one cc is the length of Kuan year and is divided into three triads of three segments each. Each segment is dedicated to one icon. There's an odd day between each of the triads. Those odd days are special holidays. And are celebrated in a fashion reflected, reflecting the coming triads icons. Okay. Got the icon, symbols, and so forth. Uh, there you the what, what page icons. am I on here? 232. Oh, that's right, because I wrote this based on the book, not on the PDF. I actually wanted to cover this section. So, glad we started here. Uh, book page, not PDF page. It's not clear exactly, because now why do we talk about the icons? Because we've been talking, they are, they are part of every single differing civilization or culture in the Third Horizon. Every single one, exactly. They have this in common. Now, I am not going to read through every single icon. I know there are only nine of them, but still, we're not doing it. I'm going to read the beginning here. We already read the calendar section. I'm going to have Heathen Dog pick one, and then I'm going to cover one other one, and then we're going to move on. Okay. It's not exactly clear where the icons come from. This knowledge was lost during the exile from Al Arda. The Zenithians can shed no light on the matter, but this is of no consequence to the faithful. The fact that the icons exist is enough. The icons link everyday life with spirituality in many ways. The figurines on the altars of the people's homes, the talismans on the dashboards and bridges, the temples and chapels along the trade routes in the villages and on space stations are all links between the individual and eternity. The nine icons are worshipped differently depending on profession, faction, and personal beliefs. In some places, they're even praised under different names, but... Hey, where's my thing? Uh, according to the Church of the Icons, they are still the same icon. The nine icons and their followers are presented below. Now, we talked about the calendar just a moment ago because... Yeah, when I was looking at this, I, like, I thought I was going to talk about that. Slide over. Uh, the messenger. So if you see somebody wearing like a necklace with a scroll on it, that's somebody who reveres the messenger. Um, heathen dog always wears a sweeping shawl. Yep. Because you got the dancer. You were born under the dancer. Now that doesn't exactly. mean that he has to revere the dancer. It just means he was born under the dancer and that affects what he can re-roll in the game. 
But he might be like, you know, screw all this. I'm just going to be the faceless one. Symbols are weird. I'm not doing this. Yeah. All right. Which one of these do you want to look at? Let's go... The Judge. Okay, the Judge is a very common one. So we'll look at that. And I'm going to do the faceless one because if you didn't pick that one, I was going to pick it because that's an important one to look at. So let's look at the Judge. The Gambler. Here comes a Judge. Got a no in the hole. All right. The Judge. An old matriarch with a grave face and a sword at her side is the common way to picture the Judge. The judge's realm is that of justice and due punishment, hence the name. Early icon myths named the icon as either the blind or the warden, and many believe it is the judge who presides over the afterlife, accompanied by the gambler. No, I don't want the gambler job looking at my soul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the gambler and holding a pair of scales. The famous mosaic in the Saras Temple on Manau depicts a judge together with the hyena-headed gambler who is trying to lead the ghosts of the dead astray. The martyr is another aspect of the judge and the most important icon to the order of the pariah. You know, kind of makes sense. Pariah. Oh, woe is me! The martyr accepts unjust punishments, such as in the story of the Woe of Chigas, where the martyr takes Chigas's place when... Kahaz, the monster of the deep, is coming to devour her. The only sacrifice the judge desires is, I think it's next page, yeah, is confessions of one's failings and lies. Hey, man, you know you messed up. Just, just, just own it. Own it now. Not talking about the times you screwed up accident, but, you know, come on. You know there are times you could have done better. You know there are times you said a little something wrong. All right. And, you know, go ahead and give me 10 hail judges and let's move on. Uh, and remorseful penance. Flagellation in honor of the martyr can be appropriate under certain circumstances, but is almost exclusively practiced by the order. So, there's a little paragraph in here about that. We've got the Traveler, the Lady of Tears, because, you know, that sounds great. Yeah. And the Faceless One. I hope it's just, yeah, good. It's just one paragraph. See, Lady of Tears is crying. Aww. What do you think the Faceless One looks like? Nothing. Oh, fair. <laughs> the seeker among the icons is never pictured hence heathen dog said nothing it's a law <laughs> in temples and on icon walls there's instead an empty place or alcove or an or an asymmetry in the placement of the other icons not so long ago many did not even know the existence of the faceless one but the rise of the church of the icons changed that on stage the faceless one is portrayed as a masked figure all in black that sneaks about the set rearranging the props and giving or taking objects from the actors. Hey, get off! No, that's just called a drunk dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine get hey up? Heathen Dog, uh, you, you're going to be playing the faceless one today. Oh, oh yeah! Oh, man. There are going to be some sandbags falling from the ceiling today. I am definitely not going to be invited to the after party. All right. <laughs> Where am I? Script! All right, um... The most common aspect of the icon is the shadow, although for a long time many thought of it as an evil spirit rather than an icon. The shadow brings madness by luring the soul out to the dark between the stars. The anonymity of the faceless one makes for few sacrifices in its honor, except by those who have known and revered the icon for a long time, such as, you know, the Black Lotuses. Remember them? Mm. They were the assassins. Uh, Valam's Temple, uh, or the Carvor nom Nomads in Aigi Uaru, 
Oh, okay, I guess that's a city. Aigi Uaru. Got it. A proper offering is often a mask, black or white stones, or a drop of blood from the believer. <laughs> Here, have this. Never give blood. That can when when gods and demons well. and no. jinn are real, you don't ever give up no. your blood. Yeah, and the whole thing about oh, he just lost his tooth. That's so. No, you take that tooth, you crush it, and burn it. <laughs> you make you make sure there is no biological anything. If if you cut your fingernails and toenails, which you should, by the way, you should do that now. Already did dispose of them properly, because any material link to you could be bad. When 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 gods exist, shenanigans like this happen. Yep, especially when people believe it. Unsubstantiated but persistent rumors claim that certain unsavory cults on Mira and Dabaran worship a perverted aspect of the faceless one with human sacrifices to quench the icon's thirst for souls. Hey, for all we know, that's the way to do it. <laughs> you know, the faceless one didn't exactly give a roadmap to worshiping it. So, you it's know. It's a very Aztec way of thinking. Yeah. All right, Church of the Icons. What was I going to look at here? What page is this in the actual book? Uh, 237. So we're going to move on to 240. Uh, again, it talks a lot about religion here because it is important, but I will let you guys, uh, if you like the game, deal with that. Uh, sacred rites. Remember, we talked last week about rites. Mm -hmm. Now you can see what they are. A troublesome emissary. Now... We're still in the religion section, but this one is important. The ghosts from the gas giant zine, often described as either spirits or spectral phenomena, have recently declared themselves the emissaries of zine. Every time I hear emissary, all I can think of is Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I know, right? It's in my head. Yeah, the emissary. There are officially five of them, but rumors claim that there are really nine altogether and that the Foundation, the Consortium, are hiding the truth! One of the emissaries has named itself the Judge Incarnate, which the Order of Pariah views as heresy since the Judge, in its martyr aspect, is the only icon they worship. I'm not worshiping Ghost Man over there. All right. The Order has put the Foundation, the Consortium, under pressure to extradite the emissary, threatening to send their antimatter armed warships to the Kua system. Wow. Yeah, oh, th this, is, this is how important religion is and how people react when they feel like you are diminishing their religion, changing it, or just being blasphemous in general, they're, they're going to bomb you to glass. That's how it is. Well, antimatter is even to glass. I think that's just into nothingness. Well, it's antimatter power ships. I imagine they're not mm. shooting their gas on, on their Th These okay. are religious nope, zealots. I just picture that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's bad. Yeah. All right. Never mind. <laughs> Carry on. I mean, they, so the Order of Pariah, um, or no, it was a, one of the churches, I think it was the Order of Pariah, shut down the entire portal system to their planet at one point. And we're convinced, no, you should open this up because we got a fleet. Fine. They shut it down again because of this. Like, you can't come here. Everybody go away. Bunch of heretics. Yeah, if, if you want to go to hell, that's fine. You're not going to take us with you. Right. Uh, all right, faith of the first, oh, faith of the factions. Sorry, we're reading this paragraph here. The religious pa factions of the factions differ greatly. The first come factions are all dominated by religious and mystical ideas, but in different forms. Remember, they came first and came across, oh, these icon things. By the way, we did not cover, and we are not going to cover 
that the third faction knows about the or third horizon knows about the first and second horizons. There's a big war and the portals were shut down. The third horizon is out on its own now because of a big war with the first and second horizons. Uh, two factions praise only one icon, the Draconites who worship the Executioner, and the Order of Pariah who bow only to the Martyr. There are even some different practices within the Church of the Icons where the marginalized cult of the Circle of Seekers, remember they were first, view the icon faith as a rough but practical simplification of the great mystery of life. Sounds like some philosophy nonsense to me. And that each icon is its own way to enlightenment. The Zenithian factions distance themselves from the icons, but not openly for strategic reasons. An exception to this is the foundation, which is in direct opposition to a worldview where the icons have any power at all. Their hardline scientific convictions have put them on a collision course with the Order of Pariah. Here's the problem with that. You live in a universe where something exists. Now, could the icons themselves be made up just religious drivel? They're well, pr- not really, pretty because prominent. there's a substantial game effect. Now, is is everyone magic? And it's just subconscious. They have to focus their 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 thoughts on something to make it work. Hey, you know what? As a game master, if you want to rewrite the game that way, I can't stop you. But that's not the way it's written. Icons are a- real. There is a, uh, a Ravenloft novel. I don't remember which one it was, but it was uh, a, a guy who did not believe in magic at all. And this is Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons. He's like, sure. no, I'm going to scientifically... I, it, it might just be the way, you know, the tones that you use, their vibrations, their sympathetic, you know, crystal emanations. I don't know. But there is no magic. We just have to figure out what the science behind it is. And that may be true. The foundation may be right. That we haven't discovered what it is, but why are people all of a sudden becoming magical, having clairvoyant powers? And we talked about that in the early weeks of the game, right? Yeah. If you can't explain something, it usually gets gets uh, something slapped on it, some mystical nonsense slapped on it, just because you can't explain it any other way. And people love things that are explained. They hate things that they don't understand. So they make up something. That could be your game. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, as you were talking. The order of reason from the mage setting yeah. makes more sense than the foundation saying magic isn't real. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's, an, it's an energy we don't understand. Yeah, because at least even the Order of Reason was like, there's no magic, you weirdo. Okay, you know there's magic, right? <laughs> yeah. They don't need to know that. They're, they're, they're too stupid to understand. Yep. Yeah. All right, we're going to look at just the first sentence of uh, taboos here. Uh, there are many taboos on the horizon connected to the icon's vengeful tendencies. I lied. We're going to read more on that. Certain things <laughs> must not be done or even mentioned. To speak of the dark between the stars is among the worst things one can do. What did I have you guys do when we ran Earth Dawn and anytime the word horror was said for the first like three circles of your characters? We had to visibly be hurt by it. Yes. It's very similar here. For example, uh, uh, instead, people use metaphors or euphemisms. Other taboos include certain foods, not showing generosity or hospitality. That is a very Arab thing. Mm-hmm. Refusing to accept gifts and speaking ill of the icons. Crap, I'm from Minnesota. 
I have to refuse a gift three times before I'm allowed to take it. Well, that's Japanese. Well, Japanese refuse. They, well, no, Japanese don't have a word for no. <laughs> they don't know how to say no. They'll just be like, oh, I don't know. It looks heavy. Uh, you know, you put so much work into that. You should probably keep it. You know, they, so they don't they, know how they to just talk in excuses. Yes. Okay. Talismans. Believers often carry talismans representing their favorite icon or church of the icons. Talismans are holy items and are often miniature sculptures or portraits of the icon. If you need any more of that, uh, again, mentioning that for the purposes of you reinforcing the fact that there's uh, religion all over this game. And local icons, I'm not going to read that, but I did mention that a little bit earlier, and Heathen Dog pretty much had the right of it. Spirits and myths, I'm skipping that, sorry, but uh, there are jinn, and they are actually monsters in the game. There are good ones, and there are bad ones. Sorcerers, oh, yeah, I was going to read sorcerers. That is incorrect. What, it's incorrect, what? Monsters anywhere are all bad. That's why they're called monsters. Well, okay, Duh. I call them monsters, and here they're called creatures or beings or whatever. All right, well, that's different. <laughs> this is true this is true. she ran out of excuses she's like uh you know i'm kind of busy on that day and uh no, no, yeah. I, I cleared it with your entire family you're fine oh well i, I have this stomach ache oh i have a doctor right here with some pepto oh, oh damn it my head hurts that's okay i'll knock you out you won't have to feel it Here's some Excedrin. <laughs> All right. Sorcerers. Now, we didn't talk, just like the humanites earlier, we haven't talked a lot about magic in the game. No. So let's, uh, let's do a little bit of that now. And I think this is the last thing we're going to talk about for this section. Apart from spirits and jinn, there are many other stories about the dark arts in the horizon. Parents on Kua and Coriolis scare their children with tales of the man-eating spirits that primitive first come called sarcophagi. Wait, sarcophagus. Really? Sarcophagus. Yeah, but all I had in my head was sarcophagus, really? No, I understand. I get it. In other versions, the sarcophagi are spirits who infiltrate spaceships on long hauls, turning the crew against each other and sowing madness. That's worse than a toilet ghost. Yes, it is. When the crew has finally killed each other in their mania, the sarcophagi feast on the corpses. Oh. Other sorcerer figures in folklore are the Bokor who can reanimate dead cadavers. Oh, that's lovely. They're said to hang around the slums and tent towns and cities such as, yeah, where that is, on the conglomerate. When it comes to the now extinct faction, the Nazarim sacrifice, the worst evils imaginable, imaginable are mixed with a certain amount of truth. It's commonly believed that they practice human sacrifice, perform dark rituals, and formed unholy alliances with evil spirits and jinn. Well, now we know why they're now extinct. Well, do you also understand why as magic is kind of popping up that people are like, whoa, no, yeah, no, no, Yeah, no, no. because every, in, in all their folklore, whenever you, whenever stupid humans screwed with magic, you get the Nazarene sacrifice tale of woe and shame. It's not good. I think that's it. Let me scroll down to verify. Uh, that's looks like an ending. Yep, that's some historical. There's Coriolis for you. It looks like Starbase 1, Star Trek. Yeah, the upside down version of never mind. Yeah, upside I'm not down version of Starbase One, or or the actual version of Starbase One. All right, from next, next generation and on. 
The next thing we're going to talk about is Coriolis, but that will be in the next video. So look forward to that in a couple of days. And Heathen Dog hopefully will now show us some questions, comments, concerns. That we people have had. some. Okay. We have some. Uh, first one is new member. Oh, yeah. Bear, he did that on Friday, actually. That was weird. Oh, okay. He just yeah. became a YouTube member. Well, thank you very much. So Bear was, uh, Bear's was. bear got a channel. If you guys don't know about it, go check out Bear the Gen X GM. He's a Canadian with... Uh, he, he and I, what I like about him is that he counters me. He does it aggressively, but not like a dick. And so yeah. it makes for a makes for a fun yeah. fun stream. How about this? Enthusiastically, but not maliciously. I don't know if he's enthusiastic because he's not an excitable guy, really. Well, okay. Well, enthusiastic but, for him. Yeah, yeah. Right. but yeah, definitely not maliciously. So. Right. Rex Teal says, uh, "Do you bow to the toilet before you do your business?" That's if you. If I you, do not. If you believe you have a Korean toilet ghost, my. Okay, here, I would. Yes. <laughs> here, here's the thing about Asian ghosts. God, yeah. If they haven't seen you yet, move. The moment they lock eyes on you, you're dead. They're going to kill you. There's no way to kill an Asian ghost, whether it be Chinese, Korean, or Japanese. The best you can do is trap it in something, and it'll get out eventually. That's the best you could do. And so, and Japanese ghosts, are, well, the Asian ones in general, they're mean. They're not like our ghosts, poo no. and throwing dishes I'm around. Here to right or wrong? No, they're here to crap on your face. That's exactly what. That's exactly what they do. So yeah, uh, no. If you think you have a, if you think you have an Asian ghost in your house and you haven't seen it, it hasn't seen you. Move away. That is your only only option then we have l saying you can say anything you want and everyone can mock you for anything you say Th yeah. this is a this is talking about you know a, a general true statement but this is this is talking about the whole freedom of speech doesn't really exist it's an illusion in well in in most cultures but especially in in coriolis because the the actual official uh quote-unquote newspaper or or radio these probes is controlled by a by a faction a consortium so, yeah by by a consortium who won't want you to know everything because that would diminish their power but there is the what he said that the nomads later on will give you information that you didn't get from the conglomerate because you know rumors talk people talk but it's not official so doesn't exist right that's exactly what they're hoping for also i mean one of the problems with we'll just say modern culture and i'm talking real world here for just a second is that concept has kind of gone away because that's the way it's supposed to be like i i do i want to defend your right so let's use coriolis i'll defend your right to believe or not believe in an icon personally i would defend it i think you're kind of dumb for not believing in an icon and i get to mock you for not believing in the icons because it's pretty obvious they exist dummy but you you have the right to do it and I wouldn't stop you from from doing it. I'll just make fun of you. Nowadays, words are words are violence. You said poopoo yeah. words to me, and I can't think straight now. Well, then you should either toughen up or start start doing heroin. Then yep. you won't care. <laughs> Anything else? Nope, that's it. All right. Well, I hope everybody liked uh, our coverage of Coriolis. We have one more video to go, which is going to be talking about Coriolis Station itself. It'll be very similar in. Uh, I'm going to be doing that one very similarly to this. So if you like how I presented this, hopefully you like that. But but Coriolis is the center of, I mean, it's the name of the game. It's also the center. It's the Kua system. It's the center of all the politics. It's the Commerce. center of everything. So we need to uh, we need to talk a little bit about what's going on there without diving into what's in every single room on the dumb station.
Because right. the book will give you that. And I hope to see you then. Woo! Let's back up. 249. Will you please stop bumping my microphone? Get that demon thing out of here. No, he's been having trouble. He's on medicine now for mental issues. <laughs> he's on kitty, kitty meds for... Uh... Hey, he stopped pissing all over the house, so it's working. We're in 10 now, right? Yeah. You can actually hang out with the other cat without going fucking crazy. All right. For our final, our last forever, we will never have another one again. Okay, that might not be true. I don't know. <laughs> Video in this Coriolis series. We're going to talk about the Coriolis station itself. Because why wouldn't we? It is the hub. It is the center. It is the vibrant life of what is the third horizon it controls many many facets of it yet it is also distant and far away from many uh, facets of the third horizon so let's see what the coriolis station offers you and your players in just a moment we believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds the focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time the core values of Hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural, organic inclusion, not forced diversity. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Show stream where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please like this video and leave a comment to appease the algorithm gods. Share this video on your favorite social media platforms to help us peer out of the shadows cast over us. And if you have not done so already, please subscribe to Legion Myth for more tabletop RPG goodness. Boom, there we are with our Coriolis book. Last time we're going to look at that cover. Until the next time. <laughs> Alright, uh, 249. Uh, StreamYard has been changing. Like, I couldn't find the order where the Coriolis book, I just presented it, what, like five minutes ago? I mean, two days ago? Uh, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't find it in the list. It took a while. So, uh, all right, let's, uh, 249, we're going to talk about Coriolis, and once again, I have the note card of Doom here that's going to tell me what I want to talk about. Page 250. Oh, all right, yep, we're going to start here. I am not going to read about all the population. Does it really matter that there are 521,465 permanent residents? Crap, I'm a liar now because I just read the population. <laughs> but we are gonna we're gonna talk a little bit here. The main thing, honestly, I won't be angry if you skip to the end because the end is going to be we'll call it the 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 bullet point list of everything that we talked about here today. Okay, or things that I missed. Anywho, uh, the Coriolis Space Station is the hub of the third horizon in more ways than one it was from this place that the zenithians brought the horizon back to life remember there was a big war and it was almost in cultural decline 
The station lies at the intersection of all the major trade routes and houses both the Council of Factions and many other rulers. I'm actually going to do this right now just to remind you guys. Oops, uh, is it before then? Yeah. Let's zoom out. Remember, Coriolis is right here. Can you see the mouse? Yeah, you should be yep. able to. Kua. Coriolis is right over Kua, right in the center. All roads lead to Rome. Kua. The Coriolis. Three, I think. Uh, hold on. There we go. Wow, I went way past. All right. The Coriolis station was constructed from the corpse of the Ark ship Zenith that arrived in the Third Horizon some 60 cycles ago. So about 60 years ago, they've popped in here and they have said, hey, we're not alone. What the heck? Why aren't we alone? Portions of the Zenith components and gear were taken by the Coster's family. Oh, it's, didn't somebody say I'm supposed to pronounce it Quasar? I don't know. Family down to the monolith on Kua, and some went to the Draconites when they broke the chain of command on board and vanished into the void. Remember what they did to why they were like, yeah, we're out? They freed all, they freed all the people that were in hibernation. Like, what are we going to do? We came here and it's, uh, it's populated already. I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Let's just let everybody go, you dicks. <laughs> and they're like, Force the issue. Ha ha ha. Run away. Yeah, stop talking about it. Let's just do something. Well, they did something. So, uh, da -da. left in the remnants were the seconds in command, the, Utre uh, the Eurydice family, uh, the Eurydice clan, sorry, and the newly awoken colonists who together formed the consortium. Coriolis was constructed as a signal to the entire horizon that a new era was dawning, and because it was a practical use of the Zenith's cadaver. By the way, if you're like, how could one ship come here and do this? I can't overstate, even though I've never stated. Uh, the, the cultural decline that the third horizon was in after the portal wars we didn't cover the portal wars because i felt that just dove into a rabbit hole we didn't need to know about too much but since it's like it's in the past way in the past but it was in a cultural decline the zenith gets here coriolis forms and they're like you know what maybe there is something to this the leftovers became the net no that is not the internet it is a place of scum and villainy the rela uh, the reloading ports that float outside the station and we'll talk about those towards the end here in a show of zenithian fellowship coriolis was parked in a geostationary orbit above the monolith with the spire pointing towards the top of the black column below this is how it all began now i'm not going to read through this entire timeline that would be crazy but we will look at uh the zenith arrives in the dabaran system that was five years before zero cc the consortium yeah, begins cons what's that hang on uh just so people can appreciate the scale uh the, the the story just said that when the zenithian ship got here not only did they scavenge it to create an entire space station but they also used parts of it to build up places around a monolith and i'm sure homes and businesses and factories and whatever on the ground itself there was some stuff there already sure but a lot a lot of the ship was repurposed yep. in several areas well how is this possible it's one ship right it's a huge well, ship think of it like Spaceball one <laughs> the whole beginning of Spaceballs, the first gag was the whole fact that the ship took like three minutes to go from one end of the to the other exactly so think of the 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 zenithian colony ship like Spaceball one it was big enough to where it can be split into three space stations if it wanted to so yeah there you go uh, in Zero, the consortium begins the construction of Coriolis. Desmond Eurydice becomes the station's first governor. 
Uh, good, I skip away. Most of this history isn't necessary for this video, but you can see there's a bunch of history there. But, 41. I kind of already talked about this a little bit, but the Order of Pariah blocks the portals in their home system, Zalos. But after being pressured by the other council members, back down and guarantee that the Free Trader Treaty will be respected. Ships can pass through Zalos again, but are heavily escorted and not permitted to dock. Reports slip out of the system about horrible events on Zalos, but the Order has no comment on this matter, as it is an internal affair. The Council has had to accept the situation since the Order lifted the blockade. Basically, it's North Korea. Well, religious North Korea. <laughs> yeah. uh, 60. The ghosts from Zine are discovered, and the Foundation makes the first formal contact with the specters from the depths of the gas giant. The governor orders the guard to perform a series of purges of the cellar, as has become a hiding place for slumbers and semi-intelligences that refuse to accept the laws of the station. Kamala Degrosian becomes the ninth governor of Coriolis. Freedom uh, has its price. Yeah, really, the only reason I read that one was for the Ghost of Zine part, because in 61, Emissary alum from Zine arrives at Coriolis and is, and is granted observer status on the council. You have a ghost on the council now. Contact with the colonies and the Taiwan system is lost in the consortium, the colonial agency, and the, the foundation organized a rescue mission. Uh, for some reason, I thought that that was going to talk about uh, the Order of Pariah shutting their stuff down again. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Page that was 250. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This, this, this is for everyone who, who, who may think of this. Uh, the Order of Pariah, they have one system. They closed off their one system. Now, why is this important? Well, what is their one system? What's it called? Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, where is it again? 41. 40, 41. Order of uh, Zalos. Zalos. Okay. Now, if they are at the end of a space lane, no one would care. Screw them. But they may be, you know, in the middle of two other people. Two other... Two other uh, where is it? it's right right here can you see yeah, where yeah. yeah you literally can't get to three other systems if you close off zalos that's not tenable that that is not something that the community as a whole can tolerate i mean if you look at it uh vera zeb, zeb and, yeah. and and terrazis no okay no no they they can be accessed from kua but it would take months longer well, to get all Also, this junk. is a dangerous area. That's why it's all red. Okay. So there's probably some pirates area. and so forth out there. Okay. So it if if they were at the end, if they were, say, move over to the left or right. Move the picture over to the left or oh, right. I don't okay. care. Look, look, I'll, look, I'll look zoom out a little bit. system. I need all the way left, oh. all the way right. It, like there, you knew? Right there. <laughs> yeah. If they were there, no one would care. Screw you then. You're not affecting anyone else. If if you want to take your ball and go home, whatever, we don't care. But no, no, they're they're in the middle, which means commerce through there is vitally important, and no one's going to have that nonsense. What uh, what I like here is if, uh, if you know, I don't know how populated uh, Yanu is, but I don't ever want to go there because the only you have to go one of these two ways because you have to go through Narmada, right? Well, you have an unstable portal here, and you have an unstable portal down here. So it's a crapshoot? <laughs> you know what? I'm happy where I am. Yeah, but we live under a dictatorship. That's great. 
Yeah. It's better than living uh, with a genie in my head. Yeah, with a 50-50 <laughs> shot of me either going insane or or dying horribly event horizon style. Right? I don't need any of that. <laughs> I don't need any of that. I'm fine. All Dictator's right, okay. rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay, let's uh now for most of these sections when it comes to the space station, where the heck am I? I am not gonna I'm not going through what is the promenade, what is the spice plaza. We're gonna I'm just gonna go through like the first paragraphs. Okay. Just to give you an idea of what, what goes on in the major portions of of Coriolis. So you have the ring. The ring of the station is huge, and running along its whole extent is the promenade. The bustling street of boutiques and shops that characterize Coriolis. The promenade is best accessed from one of the four plazas located where each of the four spokes connect to the ring. Taking a taxi or grab chair is an excellent way to get out there if you can pay. Dude, I'm not running around that whole thing. It's big. The promenade is usually very crowded, making grab chairs, rickshaws, or walking the best modes of transportation. Okay. Very much like Deep Space Nine at this point, because they also have a promenade, and it also is where all the shops are. And that, that's where much of the show takes place. So, yeah, well, I think you that's just kinda... picture that and you've got an idea. Isn't that what the what promenade means? Yeah. Well, but promenade oh. means uh, the the place where you walk around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other nonsense. Yeah. You want your stores where the foot traffic is going to be. Exactly right. Foot traffic is key. Yeah. All right. So you got the promenade, as it says there. You got the Spice Plaza. Uh, what's over? Locations. Uh, and services in the spaceport, if you want to uh, pause that to, to read it, I'm going to scroll over here. Everything can be bought for Burr in the Promenade. If it's that dull, <laughs> I don't know if I want to be... This gives you an the idea how... The scale is amazing. Yes. This is crazy. So, remember when I said that I don't want to walk around this whole station? No, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I, I would want a jetpack at this point. Yeah, right. And each one of these, it has people that you can encounter there and some things about them. You know, again, it's good uh, game master advice to get things moving on. Or you right. can do your own thing. You have the Spring Plaza, Livestock and Pets. Yep. The Arcology Alley. Market Plaza. Lots of things here. Yep, I'm scrolling down. Hopefully you're not getting epilepsy. Uh, the Ozone Plaza. That just sounds weird. It does. It's not, sounds like it's on the higher end of the station. Not one of these I was actually going to read. Or did I pass it? Oh, I was going to read the foundation. Okay. But if I pass it, I don't care anymore. Uh, Tattoo Alley. Oh, apparently I passed it. I don't care anymore. Uh, there's, there's a place on there that sounded more interesting until I read it the second time Then it wasn't all that interesting. It's called the Foundation in, uh, Infotheria. And it's basically, it started off like that's the place where the uh, anti-religious, the atheists go. Mm -hmm. But then I just come to find out, no, it's more like a sinner's den is what it is. You can only get in there if you're invited in. And that's where weird business dealings are done. Maybe, you know, a little bit of boobies, you know, whatever. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't as cool as what it originally sounded like it was going to be. So okay. not stressed. The core. The ring is very obviously a place mainly for commerce, but the core houses both several important administrative functions and a rich life of culture and entertainment. Core is also open and airy in comparison to the tight, crowded spaces of the rest of the station. Do you want me to scroll up to that picture again and show you how tight and crowded that was? Yeah, that didn't seem tight and crowded to me. I mean, I look up and the and the ceiling is so high that it looks like atmosphere. I don't feel crowded. And so. there's a big space in between people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The core plaza is located in the heart of the station, open all the way up to the lower levels of the spire. 
And once again, we've got the core plaza. I already mentioned that. Again, that, that's when I think of a space station. I don't think this. That's spacious. Well, that's the ozone plaza right there. That is crazy. You're not even on a space station at that point. From, from this picture, I would think, oh, it's a it's a gloomy day somewhere in England. That's what right. I think this is, you know, some some English city. Oh, yeah. Um, what's funny is even if you look at like Star Trek, those ships are way too spacious compared to what a real ship. Enterprise tried to do better. But uh, yeah, the Enterprise in, in Next Generation is a luxury compared yes, to like yeah. any it ship was, that you ever. It was it was actually made to be that spacious and that grand because not only was it the design for the flagship, but it also it also held families. It was also a, a diplomatic center. So they wanted people visiting a ship to feel at all, to, to, to be, you know, a little taken aback at all of the wasted space and us not talk about it. Well, even the original Enterprise compared to a ship where lots of places you're shimmying sideways. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that. Uh, yeah that it's actually unusual to have that kind of space. So, uh, but yeah, we have the little structural integrity fields. You don't, you, you can't really do that because you need everything to be thick. All the walls need to be very, very thick. And that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for empty space in the middle. Right. Uh, so you have the headquarters of the Coriolis guard and the adjudicators, the bulletin complex, a lot more. Look at that. Again, this is not inside, man. I look at this picture and I'm like, oh, this is a this is some kind of uh, power generation or factory on a planet's surface. Look at all these people in here. Can you see the dots? Those are people. Jesus. It's by the way, uh, Coriolis is big. I'd really like yeah. to know, I, I, you know, without being all like uh, autistic here, I'd love to see like a scientist look at that and be like, what's the gravity? What would the gravity of Coriolis do to the planet Kua? Oof. It all depends how far away it is. And, yeah. they, and they, they probably did the math on that. But I want you to think in. Uh, no, no. I want you to do this in your game. If you ever run Coriolis, you. You bring up the idea that before the spaceship was dismantled and repurposed to be the space station, it was a transformer and could turn into Mega Man. <laughs> just, just, just make that canon in your game. Well, he said Mega Maid. I was thinking Unicron, but then he went Mega Maid. Okay, you know, Mega Maid wins. <laughs> Look at this. Popular shows in case you want to get into, you know, again, spend a lot of time on here. Oh, this Oh, this is, I had this written on the wrong page. So, yeah, this isn't as cool as I thought it was, so I'm just going to skip it. Okay. Um, let's look at more of the art. Like, this is the dome again, of the it, This is inside the space station, and you look up if you don't see a bulkhead, you're not on a space station. Right. That's it. I'm sorry. Museum of history. I mean, you can put a museum in there. You got room for all types of stuff. Student a district, museum. university district. Look at all the school. These are just the schools on one space station. It's big. Have we mentioned that it's kind of big? Yeah, we've mentioned it's big. Tube station to the academy. It has a subway. It says tube station. That's, you know, that means subway, right? Garden of the Seekers, more people you can meet. Okay, the Samaritan Sanatorium. We did talk about that, but uh, what is the Order of Pariah? Is that who does this? Uh, uh, it's not saying quickly there, but uh, I think it's the Order of Pariah puts that on, where the poor go there, and you know, it's kind of like a homeless shelter slash uh, food, sure. uh, food bank. All right, let's uh, now let's go to the next one. Now we got the spire. The spire is altogether different from the rest of the station. There is more... 
more open space? <laughs> There's more open space, more light, and less people here than in the ring or the core. The ceilings are higher in the ventilation system. Make, the make sure the air is fresh and dry. The hollow nope. sky is the hollow sky. Oh, that's what that is. That's a hollow sky. That's not even a real sky. Okay, so All there's skies another... are hollow, dumbass. <laughs> well, it's holographic. Is brighter here than down below, and the street lights in the narrow street keep the shadows away. The spire consists of some two hundred floors. 200. The lower ones are numbered from one upwards. Okay, while the higher levels have fancy names like Thir, Arda, Luna, Afri okay, whatever, who cares? Lower oh, which is one, seven, 14. <laughs> well, and I'm going to floor uh, Alkamara, which is the top floor where the restaurant with almost the same name can be almost the same name can be found. The lower floors are usually more or less controlled chaos of corridors and streets running between markets, recreational facilities, shopping centers, and other public places. Uh, how many people did we say were on the station? 500,000. Yeah. Babylon that 5 only had a quarter of a million. This has half a million. And there's more space. No <laughs> one's running out of space. The no station's, station's commoners reach Aspire via elevators from the core that run to the lower floors. I hope they have good elevator music. To get even farther up, one has to change elevators or, as the wealthy do, uh, com uh, complete it in a comfortable grab chair or palanquin through the private shafts let upwards. Hey, uh, Hindog, can you, uh, can you carry me up there, please? Yeah, thanks. I'm going to be sitting on my box. You, you and your friends can just, you know. <laughs> sitting on your box. I'm going to kick you in your box. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Few places of interest in the spire are described below. All right. There's Alkamar's restaurant, uh, previously mentioned. Oh, hey. And there's the restaurant there. Everybody's smiling. Look at you. How happy. Especially that guy on the left. He's super happy. Yeah, right? <laughs> or, or he just got kicked in the nuts. He's like, oh! Uh, uh, there it is. Regulars there. Obviously, we got some names. Uh, the Arboretum, Place of Hegemony, or Palace, I'm sorry. Uh, Residence of the Governor. Scroll down. The Docks of the Coriolis Guard. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm fairly certain the Residence of the Governor takes up at least half of a single floor. Because <laughs> that, that sounds like, that sounds right. That I don't know. Like I mean, that, that'd be like, what, a county? Yeah. The size of a would. county in real yeah. life. The seller, other than the plebeians, who do maintenance on the station's life support. And the members of the guard on purge patrols, no one visits the cellars of Coriolis. Oh. Poor cellar. If you have business in the cellar, put on some protective gear and buy a gun. As the gravity down here is unstable, it is good to be acquainted with zero G. This is okay. just like, I'm pausing in each one of these sentences just to let some of this stuff sink in. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, so buy protective gear and a gun. Anti-grav doesn't work. So, uh, all right. Roughly speaking, the cellar can be divided into higher, less decrepit part, and lower, very worn down part. It's not sounding good at all. What are you talking about? No. The floors the, the floors of the cellar are not named or numbered, and the only maps that exist are handmade by the service personnel with the bitter jobs of tending to the systems down here. Which eh. they don't do very well. It could be because all of their maps suck. You got the upper cellar, the lower cellar, Rapidly. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So here's the thing. Uh, in the cellar, there's the there's the good part, which is categorized as not as bad as the bad part. And then there's the bad part. <laughs> those, those are the two parts. Oh, wait, you forget. Then, then there's the sewers. 
Oh, I don't even count that. That's that's where that's where Leela Kim comes from and Leela? where I poop. I don't go down there. <laughs> that's where my poop goes. That that's that's where the Korean toilet ghost lives. I don't want to go there. <laughs> well, we need somebody to take care of the Korean ghost. Have a nice day. Yeah, not me. Remember, remember <laughs> uh, what was that game? Um, Elysium, Mutant Elysium. Just kick it yep. down. Boom. Screw you guys. <laughs> the net. All right. Now we're going to get into something a little different here. The net follows Coriolis like a shadow. It's spindly and seemingly fragile construction is actually the Xena's old skeleton. Nowadays supporting commerce rather than an actual ship. From afar, the net appears as a strange jumble of light and dark shapes against the starlight. A steady stream of spaceship comes and goes. And as one comes closer to the enormity, the net becomes clear. The old ribs of the zenith metal beam several kilometers long act as an outer perimeter, but during the 50-odd cycles since the completion of Coriolis, the net has been rebuilt, expanding and breaking down in different sections. Uh, sorry, breaking down in different sections at the same time, which makes the borders of it far from clear. The reason why I'm scrolling one line at a time here is there's a part I want to stop before you see it. Okay. <laughs> I, want to, I want to see what you say. Um, at the intersection of the beams are hubs of docks loading ports, and service stations. Heavy freighters bearing the logo of the consortium rest against the beams while their precious cargo is redistributed into smaller vessels to be taken down to Kua. Banged up free trader ships glitter like tiny pearls in the dark as the welders mend the damages from their last trip. Stevedores and Exos move across the ship and the beams in a never-ending dance. Would you want to work here? You know what? It's better than a high-rise because no gravity right you're not going to fall that's something and as long as you have a lifeline or a jet booster or whatever you're not going to get lost i'm sure it's dangerous in other ways but you know unlike everywhere else like on the station you have to worry about someone stabbing the back for some other reason or another in here you're all alone in space uh, it's just me this beam and some welders and that's my world now i it, thought you were going to go relaxing. in a different direction than that oh I thought you were going to go in the direction. Hey, this is a great way to, you know, get some good stuff, make some bribes, oh, yeah. accidentally oh. fix a ship. Maybe, uh, hey, uh, if I tell you where the ship's going to break down, are you going to, uh, you know, give me a little some of the booty? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're, you're like a you're like a corrupt cop. You're like, oh, I, oh, geez, uh, it seems you have a tail light out. That's going to be a fine. There's no tail light <laughs> out. Smash. Oh no, there's a tail light out. Yeah, out in the net, nobody can uh, hear you bleed. The pilots of the net. To most people, the net looks like a wild and unpredictable mess of tons of metal and explosive fuel. A disaster of epic proportions just waiting to happen. Well, yeah, but it's far over there. It was put over there for a reason. Here's the station where you and your family live. You know, all of you, everyone you know, everyone you care about. And then here's the giant explosive time bomb. It's way over there. It's yes, but if you're working out there on the time bomb. Well, yeah, but everyone else is safe. <laughs> this is true, and such a disaster would surely have happened already if it weren't for the pilots. Who worked the net? There we go. Pilotage is an invaluable cog in the gears of commerce, and working the net means working at the very heart of trade. The pilots have their own guild independent from any external interference. It's because they're way out there. And what are you going to well, do? It's not just because they're way out there. They literally cannot be influenced by any single other group or a small gathering of the groups because that would ruin it for everyone. It would cause a war and then it could be damaged or destroyed. And that would that would wreck everyone. So 
this is the part that I thought came earlier for whatever reason. That's why I was hiding it, but now it's on the screen. So their code calls for them to always act impartially. And their priority is always to make sure everything runs smoothly and effectively. And in your head right now, you're saying, sure, right, okay, whatever. Yeah, sounds good. This is how it works, in theory at least, but not always in reality. Although the guild is very quick to suspend members who take bribes that favor one company's traffic over others. What does that tell you? That it still happens. Don't get caught. So for you game masters out there, for you (laughs) players out there... If you get caught, there is punishment, and you're not going to talk your way out of it. No, no. If you get caught, you get you probably get spaced or some shit. I don't know. It's 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 the equivalent of of spaced. Even though you don't die, you don't die right away, but you're going to because you can't do anything anymore. You lost your job, you lost your status, you probably got fined, and you lost all your life savings if you had any. It's like and in one of those states that's totally union. If you're not in the union, you can't work. You're not. You're not working. Yeah. So my, my point isn't is here isn't that, well, I can try it. I can do this. Yeah, you can. There's nothing to say you can't try. If you get caught, you're going to be done. out on your own. And don't yeah. yell at the game master. And game masters, you've got to hold them to it. But yep. they maybe they can make a successful racket out there. Oh, man, those engines. I thought they were repaired. I guess they're worse off than I thought. Maybe you should have greased the palms a little better. Uh, where are we? To take uh, this this stern practice means you will find plenty of ex-pilots in the shadier bars of the station drowning their sorrows after losing what is actually one of the best paid jobs a common worker can get yeah yeah i mean th- think of it this way how many jobs could you have that put you not only at the center of interplanetary commerce the responsibility of thousands and thousands of people every day and the autonomy and authority to do it in the most efficient and seamless way that you can imagine. No one can screw with you. As long as you get crap done, you're right. They're wrong. That's it. You are above reproach until you're not. Don't, don't be, don't be the latter. Don't be that. I don't want to be these guys. You're pulling the <laughs> heave. heave. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. All right, one more thing, and then we're gonna get to the. I think it's uh, gonna get to the end. We're gonna look at crime. Oh, there's a guy. Go- I don't care. I thought about covering the government, but if you care that much, get the book, get the game. That means you're already interested in it. Um, where is crime? Crime, crime, crime. Adjudicators. Uh oh, crime. Okay. Despite the efforts of the guard and the adjudicators, crime is widespread on the station. It is most yeah. noticeable around the four plazas on the ring and in the Malukad, all places where the gangs of the syndicate operate. The guard and the adjudicators try to keep a low profile here so as to not provoke confrontation unless innocents are in danger, although they have a rather wide definition of innocent. Mm. The seller has no police presence whatsoever, but then again, civilized people never go down there. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, this this paragraph was just to reinforce. Heath Nugget already said it a couple times, but to reinforce the fact that um, the station is generally safe. How do I say this? It's like going to Paris or Rome. It's safe as long as you are aware of your surroundings. Don't have your wallet hanging out. <laughs> you know, don't uh, don't let your kids run free. You know, yeah, whatever. The, well, the, the po- it, it, just, just like any major city, 
There yeah. are places where you don't go unless you either A, have to, B, forced to, or C, accidentally yep. got Oops. to for no reason whatsoever. And you know you messed up and you get out of there as soon as possible. Only, only a tourist who didn't do any research or doesn't have any friends would just walk into these places. So only, so you, you can make an argument that only the stupid get caught in these joints and it's your own damn fault. Now you can make it as safe or as horrible as you want. I think to me, what I took away from this is this, if the characters are looking for trouble, they can find trouble. If they're not looking for trouble, but you know, it's time for something to happen. You can bring trouble to the characters. If, Nobody's looking for trouble and you don't feel like having trouble. You don't have to have it. That That's kind of how I, I took this entire thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there was a comedian, I, I forget his name, but, uh, back, you know, when he was younger comedian, cause all younger comedians do drugs. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and, uh, he said when he was in a new town, didn't know anything, didn't know where to go to, to get a, to, to score, he would just pop on the local news and he would see, he would look for a drug bust. And then he would go one block in any direction and he'd be able to buy drugs. It's like that. There are places like that on the station. You know you shouldn't go there. So you don't. Unless you want trouble. Then you do. Or you're new. <laughs> or you're new and you accidentally walk there. It happens. Can I zoom this usually, out? Usually just it happens once. I want this to fill the whole screen. But Oh, that's too much. How about two? Can I do 280? Does it let me type in here? It does. We did that before. All right. This is going to be the end of uh, the episode. We're going to cover all the important facts about Coriolis. This is how we're going to. This is like the bullet point of everything that uh, either we talked about or didn't talk about, whatever. But it's going to wrap everything up. This is what you need to know about Coriolis. And then our series is over. I did all that work to get it. And then I'm zooming in again. (laughs) If you are new to the station, Coriolis will offer plenty of sites and activities. But there are a few things all new arrivals should know. This is your indoctrination briefing. This is your newcomer briefing. Yes. Burr and cash. Monetary transactions on Coriolis are usually handled electronically by using tags. Oh, we didn't cover tags. Uh, There's a picture of one that I scrolled over earlier. Uh, It's what what do they call the shadow? Yeah, cred chips, cred stick. There you go. Uh, although smaller payments can, of course, be made in cash, it is wise to have two tags one for information, licenses, addresses, insurance, medical records, etc., and one for your money. A transactor is a safe medium in which, if you wish to keep everything in one place, is locked to your bio code. Ordinary tags are only protected by a numeric code. And you know what? If you don't have the RFID blocker, you're going to get your pin taken from you. So. Yeah, so that's the way it is. So the the long and short of this, if you want to, you know, equate that to the real world, the the idea is, hey, if you come here, take your ID out of your wallet and put it in a different pocket. That's basically it. It's just you know pickpocket proofing. So sure, they're they're going to get something from you, but not everything. The info terminals. On Coriolis supply people on the station with all sorts of useful information, and they're veritable gold mines to a data spider. What's a data spider, you ask? Well, guess what? It was like episode two or three, and we talked about the different character classes, or whatever they're called, professions in this game. Data spider is your computer, your white hat hacker, because of course you wouldn't be the bad guy, would you? No. All information on the infonet will sooner or later leak out, even private messages from forums and password-protected areas. The factions' communications use the same network, but generally have stronger encryption. 
The station's security and defense systems run on a separate encrypted network that can only be accessed by the terminals inside the administrative services, the headquarter of the guard, and a few other places. <laughs> only here, but you know, a few other places. Only but other places too. Yeah. Okay. You just dumbass. Attempts to get at this information are criminal acts and will trigger a swift reprisal from the adjudicators. Sure. Is that it? Oh, I thought this that was longer. Okay. Let's go to column two. Work. Obviously, you're, if you're here, you're unemployed, right? It's my story. Or, you know, or in between jobs, as they say. In between, there we go, in between jobs. Anyone is free to come and work out. Hey, but after next week, if the government isn't funded, I'll be in between jobs. You'll be in between jobs, yeah. Anyone is free to come and work on Coriolis, but to gain access to basic health care, you need to purchase a work permit. These are supplied by the administrative services in the core at a cost of 100 burr per cc. Okay, so uh they have universal health care that's great but you have to pay 100 bucks to quote unquote become a temporary citizen i guess is the thing an allowed an allowed worker yeah which i imagine would be a temporary citizen okay it's fine businesses there are no mandatory taxes on Coriolis. how do they keep it running but but if you wish to start a business you'll need to pay for a business license right oh there it is the there license must be renewed every cycle, and the cost depends on the type of your business and the game master. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if if you have a lot of money, <laughs> don't let Game Master Schlow know it. <laughs> Hide it in a diaper. He'll never take it. Okay. I'm not better. <laughs> he played you guys, okay? Maybe no, not you, he not played you. you, dumbass. He played you. Play he... He purposely, he, he purposely transferred all of his silver and gold coins into such, coins. such high de de denominations that it convinced you that he couldn't even spend it. No, no. Except he convinced you guys. He made... So you didn't take it from him. That's exactly why he did it. Ask him. Well, that might be why he did, but he was the one that made you guys uh, give him blood promises to, to, when, you, when you borrowed like two hey, gold from don't him. Don't me into that shit. I always said no. Fair. <laughs> oh, and, and he was willing to sleep outside and take a penalty for it. Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> to keep all of his money from you. That's, hey, you know what? If you want to suffer that, he can have it. <laughs> Housing. If you intend to stay in the station for a longer period of time, renting a room or a, a module in a family run boarding house would be a good idea. Unless you're Garthon, then just sleep outside and you won't give me your you're money. Gutter. Yeah. Yeah. You actually have a skill for, for gutter sleep. That's great. Uh, he, he took penalties. As the small businesses generally cannot afford any hollow or mo uh, modulate advertising, they can be tricky to find compared to regular hotels. Staying in a hotel for more than a few days will be very expensive, however, unless you choose one of the cheap coffin-style hotels common in the spaceports. Buying your own living module is expensive, but a very good investment. Dude, I'd love to have somebody who's trained in like reading for commercials read this page. Here at uh, Coriolis Airlines, we believe that you are our business. The laws of the station is enforced. The laws of the station is enforced. Ooh, that was a tough one to... The laws of the station are enforced by the Coriolis Guard, who answers to the governor. Who answered to the governor. Who answered oh. to... Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so many problems with that sentence. I'm surprised it didn't just try and shank my eyes. <laughs> For serious crimes, there's a special division, the judicators, who work directly under the criminal courts. Both the guard and the judicators are mandated to sentence criminals at the scene... For numbers of crime. Oh my Judge god. Judge Jury and Executioner. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Dredd, baby. That's great. Oh yeah, Judge Dredd. Uh, I am the law. 
The guard can order corporal punishment such as whippings or public humiliation. Hey, this is an Arabic game. Yep. The judicators can order. You know, I'm okay with public humiliation, though. I think we need more of that. I really do. The judicators can order public mutilations. Ooh. The judicators can order public mutilations and also sentence someone to death if they can justify it. Who's going to say no? Yeah, who's going to say no? They're the they're the judges. They just go, yeah, he's guilty. You know, you can't do that. You're next. Yes, I can. Guess what? He's guilty. (laughs) You're an accomplice. What? Oh, stand next to him now. Incarceration on the station is always short and reserved for cases of public intoxication. Intoxication. There we go. Or lunacy. By the way, I was thinking there. Um. There are no prisons on Coriolis. No. There are holding cells, but there are no prisons. Something to note. I, I, I skipped that section, but just so you're worried about, you know, prison sentences. Nope, not there. Longer sentences are served in forced labor camps on Kua. Fines are common, often in addition to other punishments. Suicide is a crime that leads to confiscation of all assets to prevent people from indebting themselves and then committing suicide to save their families from repossession. Wow. I kind of like that law. Oh, no, no, because the black sheep Uncle Jerry just decided to borrow a whole bunch of money and spend it all on, on, on a hooker named Mickey Mounds and then killed himself. And now I got to pay for it. He was like, he was like my third uncle once removed. And okay, so, so this is all based on one thing. Bullshit. It depends on where probate, if it's immediate family, I say, hey, you're screwed. But if it's, yeah, if it's, you know, probate should end at the immediate, the, the wife, um, if you're the legal guardian, if it was wife, a kid, parents or children, that's yeah. it. Oh, I'm sorry. Wife, parents, children, siblings, that, that should be all yeah, yeah. Not, not cousins and aunts and uncles and all that crap. No, no, no. That, but that's not what it says here. It just says that's, family. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And, and the one so other caveat I'd make to what you said is only adult children. I don't want to burden a 10 year old because dad was stupid. Well, some someone's responsible for that 10 year old is probably gonna be another family member and that person's gonna get screwed so by by you know just by you know shit rolling downhill that kid's gonna be screwed and the last thing healthcare. hey through the work permit you have access to several private medical facilities on the station awesome. they're usually block doctors oh i thought that was last one is this oh crap there's another page here i thought it was one page <laughs> they're usually larger resident uh, usually in larger res- Doctors are in larger residential areas. There we go. Uh, those without a work permit can visit the Samaritan Sanatorium and its adjacent hospital. Okay, so basically what it's saying is you can go to your local clinic, free, or you can go to the area hospital, also free. Well, you can go to this Samaritan Sanatorium if you don't have I call that area hospital. Okay. Icon chapels can be found everywhere across the station. The preachers are there at your service in exchange for some small gift. The Church of the Icons can also help you in their dome in the core, but reserve more extensive aid for their members. Membership is free, however. Where do I sign up? All you have to do is get on your knee and... Transportation. Most people in the center of the station use the ring tube for longer stretches of transportation. The tube runs around the ring and and into the core through each of the four spokes. There are five tube stations, one on each of the ring plazas and one in the core. However, taxis are more expensive. Hover taxis, there we go. Hover taxis are more expensive, but can take you anywhere in the core, on the ring, or up to the spire via the grav shafts. Private vehicles require their owners to purchase expensive vehicle license, so if you want your Hummer in there, you know, you're going to be taking up some space, and that's going to cost you a pretty penny. But, you know what? It's a sign of your opulence. 
I've got my own car. In fact, the, my guard in front of me, my guard behind me have their own cars too. I is rich. Bikes, rickshaws, and palanquins are license-free, but ground loaders, grab chairs, and grab craft are not. Crawlers are only allowed in the station for sanitation transport companies and for the guard and adjudicators. So either you're picking up poop or you're picking up poopy people. Weapon laws and self-defense. All right, is there a Second Amendment on Coriolis? Let's find out. All weapons require licenses that cost the same amount as the weapon itself per year. Holy crap. Heavier weaponry and weapon systems are not allowed on the station. Persons convicted of violent crimes cannot purchase weapons license. Okay. The self-defense laws on the station state that everyone has the right to defend themselves and the and property from an attack, but that the defense violence should be proportionate to the threat. I thought he's going to kill me. It's rare for someone to be found guilty of excessive use of force, however, unless the person used an illegal weapon. Okay. That's a whole different crime, by the way. I don't know why. The, okay, whatever. Well, no. I mean, if you used an illegal weapon, you are guilty of something. They're just going to add on as much stuff it takes to kill you. That's fair. It's just like in the States, if you're a felon, a convicted felon, and you shoot somebody with a weapon that you're not allowed to have, you it's still if it was still a legal defense like you are still allowed to use deadly force in that defense you will not be convicted of the deadly force act because that was allowed you might be convicted of having a weapon you weren't allowed to have though yeah you weren't and usually to... that's a probation violation you're going back to prison but you know but but the point that i'm making there is like uh found guilty of excessive use of force that that wouldn't come up because technically even though you weren't allowed to have the weapon you are allowed to use that level of force sites Coriolis is a wondrous sight in its own right, but a visit to the Dome of the Icons is recommended if you wish to experience something out of the ordinary. The Foundation's Museum of History and Spire Plaza are must-sees. Careful advanced planning could also land you a reservation at Alcamars. All I can see when I say this is Alcazar's from Futurama. Really? The restaurant? Oh, oh, the, the, the uh, spice guy. Yeah, the Neptunian, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, okay. Maybe he's not Neptunian, but... Uh, Bam! Yeah, exactly. Uh, holidays and festivals. There are three major holidays on Coriolis. The Founding, the Cyclade. Oh, that's the name of the second, the second book. And the Pilgrimaria. The Founding is a celebration of... How many pages is this? Oh, there it is. Oh, my God. Uh, the construction of the station, the establishing the office of the governor. You know what? I don't care about the holidays anymore. Do you? No. Okay, let's go to how to blend in on Coriolis. Support the governor. <laughs> Yay, you! Who? Where am I? Yay, Coriol! <laughs> the Council of Factions and the Will of the People. Those don't sound order. one and the same to me. No, they don't. Accept diversity. And understand that through this, others will accept you. Doubtful. Praise the icons. Apparently someone doesn't know how people work. <laughs> Praise the icons and give proper sacrifice before important decisions and as thanks for a blessed life, lest your actions reflect the icon calendar. Yeah. Participate in holidays and festivals. Okay. Never speak well of Dabron, Mira, or any other place falsely purporting to be the center of the horizon. Yeah, but Dabron's okay. the entrance point into the third horizon. So. All right, so everyone, if you want to fit in, you have to be a mild version of your area soccer hooligan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to be a national. You have to be a Coriolis nationalist. Yeah, basically. And that is it. I hope that was enough information to 
give you an understanding of the space station, how big it is, what goes on there. And really, I thought this last part summed it up really well. It kind of just talked about, you know, it was almost like the tour, the tour guide version of it. Okay. So uh, we only have four starred comments. Either everyone was listening to you with great fervor or they didn't give a crap what you were talking about. We gained a couple make... of viewers, so we're, we, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say which one, but I'm going to say <laughs> that uh, Psyghost360 says, I have so many books, including Coriolis, and I'm thankful you've been covering it. It's awesome. No, I, I, the, the commentary I've received about Coriolis so far has been much more positive than the Mutant Year Zero. And, and it's because I followed the suggestion that a couple people gave me. One was pretty vocal about it. It was like, look, if you're going to do a deep dive, deep dive. Don't skip so much. Like, okay. And so this one made a conscious effort. Even there were times like, I was like, I don't really need to do this. Nope. Even he was that first or second video. You were really on my case about what, what is that? What is that? Like, yeah, it, I was, that, it really was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, th but that helped out because that's people wanted to see more about what this book has to offer. Obviously you still have to buy the book in order to play the game. So I'm not, you know, I'm not losing sales for him. If anything, I hope I'm gaining sales for him. So I like Coriolis. I like it better than alien outside the, the Arabian night side of it. I like it better than alien, but aliens got the IP name behind it. And a cool stress mechanic. And after a while of Psycho Ghost uh, listening, he said, you can make a complete campaign just staying on the space station. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's freaking huge. It's huge. So much intrigue can fit in just the ring. Not just the hub or the spire or anything. Jesus, just the promenade itself will give months and months, if not years, of different gameplay. Yeah, you can you could uh, work business dealings. You could play an intrigue game. You could play criminals from the cellar. You could play. I mean, there are so many things you could do. I think most people would want to be out in space. But yeah, there are a ton of things you could run an entire Babylon five deep space nine type thing going on here. I mean, you wouldn't be in charge of it, but it'd be more like lower decks. Sorry to use that reference. I know it's a horrible show, but uh, you you could you could be that part of it. You, all types of stuff. Five hundred thousand people in here. That's a, a major city. Okay, it's not New York City, but it's a major yep. city. Yeah. Then we Entire have L says, uh, take the kids' college fund and make them work at McDonald's. That was the uh, um, suicide tax. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was for the suicide tax, yeah. Yeah, so suddenly your, 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 your child, boy or girl, 17 years old, about to become an adult, but you decided that... Uh, you wanted yeah. to borrow half a million burr, blow through it all and hookers and blow and then kill yourself. And now your kid has to work at McDonald's and half the pay is going to re repay the loan. I'm, I'm, I'm for that. Believe it or not, I'm for that. I'm not for the kid having to pay the debt off if the kid was 10 years old. But I'm for, sorry, kid. Sorry you lost your college fund. Blame your dad. I'm okay. I'm okay with that because the kid still can do everything else in life. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, next we have uh, Nerdy Ogre. You two are starting to sound like Ferengi. When we were we were talking about commerce and all that stuff, and we were, we were on the the uh, oh. business section, and you know, I take that as an insult. I hate the Ferengi. Uh, the, the the Ferengi are just the consummate uh, business slash professional slash shenanigans. Mm. I, I think that they're just clown shoes. I like the original Ferengi, the when they were first portrayed. Uh, in the in the next generation, it was a season as, one. 
as basically technologically adept apes? Yes. Okay. It's just kind of wild. Well, I, I'm sure there was more behind him than that. I, I preferred that to being the cartoonish nonsense that Quark was. No, well, fair enough. Kevin says, uh, "I only showed up for the last ten minutes, but it was enough." I don't know how now, to take I'm that. Gonna, I'm going to take that in a good way. Yeah, I'm going to take that in a good way too. Well, he had another and comment then, up there about not liking the game system, but he's wrong. <laughs> Jill Gamer says, uh, "Coriolis just sounds really interesting. I want to read sci-fi novels over the universe, not just play the TTRPG." then i would do both get get a story story focused game master and you can make your own novel yeah this um this is actually you know what if there were novels about coriolis i would read them yeah one to get there should be right there's novels about every other thing i mean i've i've got a werewolf the apocalypse novel i've got a mage novel i've got a shadowrun novel i've got all those things why why isn't they why isn't there coriolis novel I don't think that uh, I don't think Free League has any novels that I'm aware of. Uh, that's weird. That, for, that for any of the games, market resource right there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see how Coriolis is presented in that. It would it would help me because one of the things I I do honestly, if a game system has a novel and I'm going to run the game, I tend to read the novel. As you've heard me say a hundred times, I, I'm a spirit of the law person over the letter of the law. And reading a novel, I get into people's heads. I get into the descriptions. I get, oh, so this is how that's done. I thought it was something, you know, you know, this way instead of that way. Because I like to present things with the proper feel, so to speak. So okay. I would absolutely read a novel for this game to help support that. Okay. And that is it. Cool. All right. Um, I guess with that, then, yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this Coriolis series. Apparently, most people have. Uh, so that's a good thing. Next week, barring anything changing our schedule, which I don't think so, is going to start Forbidden Lands. I've had a ton of people tell me I got to cover Forbidden Lands. Why haven't you covered Forbidden Lands? Where's Forbidden Lands? Well, I wanted to break up Mutant Year Zero, which is post apocalyptic ish. And then a pure fantasy game with Coriolis. Also, Coriolis had the three actions per round, which is different than the other games. There were some differences in this, and I wanted to show the differences before I went back to something similar. But there are also differences with Forbidden Lands, and you guys are going to make me learn advanced combat because I don't do the advanced combat in Forbidden Lands. But for you, for you fine folks out there, we're going to talk about using the dumb cards in the game and uh, the advanced combat. So... Hopefully awesome. you look forward subscribe. to that. Subscribe. Subscribe, you bastards who, who make him do these things. <laughs> there you go. Well, now that he's called you names on uh, RPG Digest, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for watching this and definitely look forward to seeing you guys next week. Uh, do you have to get up and step away for a moment? Good, because I have things to do. <laughs> I prepared for this today. Good job. That over there. So uh, let's show off a couple of things that we've got. I'm going to do this by screen because I've got a few things to show. First thing I want to show, if you have not already purchased it, how the hell do I pronounce this? I tried to write down how to pronounce this. Uh, hopefully it's uh, Makua Huitl. And if that's not right, too bad. That's what you're getting. Uh, Makua Huitl, white box role playing in the Aztec Empire. Go ahead and check out. This is from the basic expert, you know, a friend and buddy. I don't know, he never talks to me anymore. Maybe we're not friends and buddies anymore. But uh, uh, it is uh, white box role-playing, if you're into old-school OSR style. Uh, but it's uh, using the Aztec Empire. 
or uh, something close to it, an approximation of the Aztec Empire. There we go. Who is to govern and rule the world? Who is to be the sun? And let's see, there are characters. Where are you talking about? There we got the Eagle Warrior, the Yaguar Warrior. I keep doing that. Uh, the Merchant, because I'm not saying that. Uh, shapeshifters, mercenaries, elite warriors known for their ferocity in battle. Uh, they were members of an, of an elite warrior society, the Shorn Ones. And very nice layout. I really do like the layout that he used here. I haven't been able to zoom in enough to see if I approve of his language, but uh, I like the layout. The art was mostly done by the basic expert himself. So if you have not backed this yet, I'm going to put this in the description. Uh, right now, or in the chat right now, and you can check it out yourself. Right. Character advancement aspect warriors motivated differently than your standard adventure in traditional Western fantasy setting. XP is replaced with status points. Status points represent a character's wealth and social clout within society. Characters earn status points in a number of different ways, such as defending their city, attacking a city, or what some have coined XP for hearts, where players gain more status points when capturing foes alive, bringing them back for sacrifice or servitude. Okay, I'm buying the game now. Just for that alone. Got your obsidian knife there. And it's a hex crawl. Really has that old school feel. Go. Oh. And again, I like the layout. Also like that red, the red and black uh, dual color. So, okay. So you can check that out. Next, 20 hours to go. Only 20 hours. Are you a Larry Elmore fan? I'm a Larry Elmore fan. You should be a Larry Elmore fan, too. Now, to be fair, in full disclosure, Larry Elmore did me a solid in real life, had a painting, it got messed up, wasn't his fault, and he replaced it and gave me an extra painting. So, uh, I don't, uh, Lunar Legionary, I doubt it does, because this is, you know, uh, a single person making something, so I, I doubt it's going to be as extensive as, uh, was it Tec Tecmuel? Is that, that what uh, Empire of the Petal Throne is? So... Uh, but you can always send a message to the basic expert and ask him if uh, he'll add more to it. Because I bet you, if, I mean, he already made his goal. So I bet you as, you know, he makes more money on that, uh, theoretically, he could add more to it. But uh, the Larry Elmore, the complete Elmore volume three hardcover book. Here we go. And it's got a lot of his works. He describes thought processes and what he did and whatever else are in those paragraphs there. Uh, some of the work that he has done. Uh, you can also back... You couldn't get number one, but he also had... Uh, you can also order number two if you don't have number two. So you can get two and three. Larry Elmore art is fantastic. I love it. And there we go. So check that out. I'm going to put that link into the description as well if you want a fantastic book on art and support a generally good guy. Because I don't care, Kevin, that's why. It's some st I don't like Empire of the Petal Throne. It's garbage. It has a bunch of stupid words in it that nobody can pronounce. <laughs> that's why. Tecmool. If you make up enough words, it seems like another language and pisses people off. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. That's why I don't play Shard. I, li I love the idea of Shard RPG, but after about three pages of trying to read n nonsense words, I was like, no, I'm out. I get it. You're trying to be special and interesting. 
Yeah. Well, I'm also I'm also not doesn't mean useful. Right. I'm also not 75 years old. The only people who know about uh, uh, Empire of the Petal Throne are people who played it back in the 1970s. Nobody else knows about it. Like That's it. And they're kids. So I actually uh, Raven's Lair again, talking about somebody who's like in his 90s. Uh, <laughs> Raven's Lair, you watching? You know, I'm joking with you. Uh, he sent me a copy of it. I, I've, I've looked through it. It's not bad. It's just not for me. Um, but uh, all right, let's. Uh, weekly update for Palladium Books. Now we're going to start segueing into Heathen Dog stuff. The only thing I wanted to show on here was uh, let's go to the bottom. Okay, Kevin, you have way too long of stuff in here. Nobody needs all that. <laughs> this is not a weekly update. This is a yearly update. <laughs> right there. Uh, nope. Where is it? Okay. Closing thoughts changed to his desk. Actually, it's not even that one. Uh, here we go. Palladium Collectibles, Kevin's online tour and collectible eBay store. Okay, apparently when you zoom in, it just goes away. There it is down there. Um, so I'm going to show that off in a second. There, hopefully you guys can kind of see that, because I'm not zooming in anymore, because I was a pain in the ass. Now I can't find it. Good oh, job. way down there now. God, well, it jumps. His, his page jumps. So he's got some original art, some collectible stuff, and we'll show those off in just a moment. But he's got some negatives, and that is something that people have actually sent me messages on. Like, hey, Kevin's got negatives. Let me know. Well, guess what? He's got negatives, and we'll take a look at those in a moment. Ugh. What? Each negative is truly unique. Well, truly is a, actually truly is an okay... Uh, uh, nope. Prefix no, truly is. No, it isn't. Because it's saying honestly. It's honestly unique. It's it's not... The, 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 the words that people like to use are very unique. As in there's levels of uniqueness? Yeah. This Interestingly isn't unique. No, that's not... that that You think that would work. Doesn't work either. Interesting. No uh, adjective or adverb should go before... Should add on to the word unique. Because you can't add on to the word unique. You can't describe it like that because it is one of a kind you cannot be truly one of a kind unless unless you think everyone else is lying to you and then you got other problems you, you can't be very one of a kind that doesn't make sense can't be awesomely one of a kind because something can't be awesome when you can't compare it to anything because there's only one of them no you can't you can make comparisons that aren't necessarily one for one though i truly unique doesn't bother me very unique does bother me uh but ev my god everybody at work does it really unique that was one i heard the other day that's really unique what uh anyway uh da, 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 resembles woodcut okay so but we'll look at that in just a moment and oh and then here's this this is what i want to show rush you please enjoy palladium's mutant mayhem sale all right if you're gonna have mutant mayhem sale name me the two three or four games that you think would be on that list that's for sale mutant mayhem sale well i would say heroes unlimited okay um, I would say after the bomb. Okay. And no, night nightbane's not mutants. Technically, maybe there. No, 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 no. No, what else? Apparently, beyond the supernatural. Uh, I don't agree with that, but okay. Nightbane. I can uh, get with nightbane. I can that's get with fair. That. That's yeah. fair. That's borderline. I'll go yeah. with that. Where's after no the bomb? Unlimited? No, here's unlimited. And I, I no after, after the bomb. There's literally mutants. In... Okay. <laughs> no, there's whole character class is called mutant. In the goddamn game. 
Nope. Let me go. And after the bomb, what is everybody in after the bomb? Everybody after the bomb is a mutant animal hybrid, damn it. <laughs> Kevin. Kevin, come on. I man. claim false advertising. No, no, no. This one isn't Kevin. This one's Sean. Oh, Sean you're going to blame Sean? Sean did this one. And we're going to let him know when he comes back. How do you know Sean did this one? I'm just saying he did. Okay. <laughs> that works for me. Write that on the list of, of to-dos. Uh, and now here is Kevin's uh, eBay store. I'll put the link in there if you guys want to check it out. Uh, I'm not going to talk about every item in here. I was really just trying to take up time while the heathen dog stepped away for a moment. But you can see all the fun little things in here that he's got for sale on eBay. Some Star Wars figures. Some book. What is this? Rift Secrets of the Atlantean. So that's kind of a neat cover. It is neat. Uh, here, here are those, um, those negatives that he was talking about. RP, look at that. Robotech RPG original negative, page 90. Somebody page might, 90? Dude, what happened? Well, no, no, no. That's, that's how you do negatives. You do them as plates. So oh, okay. he's not going to give the entire book a negative. No, he wants, and you look at over here, uh, Rift's Dark Conversions. Didn't you cover that one? I did. So there you go. Now you can get page 94. But wow. these are actually things, I, you and I might look at this as like, who cares? Why? But no, seriously, people sent me messages when we did that last one, when he had those uh, pieces of art. Like, are any of Kevin's negatives there? Well, really? What? On the negatives, huh? All right. I didn't know there was such a cool thing, but I suppose I understand it. This BCA Volume 1 color hardcover first print. So anyway, whole bunch of pages here of stuff. Let's click page five just to see what might be there, and then we're done. Uh, Star Wars... I don't know what that is. Generation. What does that say? Generation X. I don't know what that is. Sounds like a. Mm, excuse comic me. Book. Yeah, Avengers. Yep, comic book stuff. Yep. So right. there we go. Well, you know he's a comic book guy. So there we go. You can check out five pages of Kevin Samita stuff. Did I put that in the chat? I did put that in the chat. So you guys can. Oh, let me put it over here on the Rumble side, and you guys can check that out and maybe uh, bid on and or buy some of uh, Kevin's stuff. And that's it. Yep, that's all I want to talk about. Sweet. Right. So now it's your turn. Get you get get over there. I got oh, there it is. Yeah, that's it. And oh, that that one. There you go. That's you. Wow, I really saturated the colors of that book. Holy crap. Yeah. That's like yeah, you did. pinkish. Well, the gods are pink now. <laughs> it is a little pinker than the original, but it's not. Well, here. You've got the you here. I've I got can, the original up. Yeah. Yeah, we can present it. Well, you can present it right now, and it won't affect. Yeah, that's what yeah. the original look. That, that's that what was, original looks like. That's what his looks like. <laughs> I, I, so I over, it's different enough. I oversaturate yeah. them for thumbnails so that when they're small, they they stand out more. They but pop. that, yeah, that that okay. was that was a bit much. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> All right, Legionnaires, welcome to the first of three videos covering the Rift's conversion book to Pantheons of the Megaverse. In this video, we're going to talk about what gods are how they work, and then we can move on to the racial character classes that spawn because of them, and then how to use them in your campaign. But today, we're just talking about what gods are, how you define them, how do they interact with each other, and a little bit how they interact with the world around them. We believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds. The focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of Hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural, organic inclusion, not forced diversity. 
The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Show stream where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please like this video and leave a comment to appease the algorithm gods. Share this video on your favorite social media platforms to help us peer out of the shadows cast over us. And if you have not done so already, please subscribe to Legion Myth for more tabletop RPG goodness. Okay, first we're going to talk about what the gods are. And this isn't as easy a question to answer as you might think, because your game master, or you if you are the game master, have to decide how your gods are going to interact with your world. And so, so you so have to so decide... I have a question about this already. Are, are, are you, where's the power level of gods in the megaverse? Because they're not the most powerful thing. No, they're not. So is that something you're going to talk about? That's something I'm going to talk about. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah. But your, you or your game master have to decide how your gods interact with your world. And that's going to define what they want what they what they want to accomplish what their goals are and you have to choose how your gods are portrayed we're going to get into that but right now we're going to move to that section of what are gods and how do they help me there we go and we have can you zoom way in on that i'm going to i'm just going to get the right oh. spot first here we go defining god, ooh, god defining gods all right, this is your game master's job. This is what your game master has to do before the gods are introduced. How they are going to interact, react, or create action in the world will define who and what they are. And it gives you some examples to start off. Okay, now, what are deities? Since the origin of humankind, people have tried to understand the world around them. To primitive cultures, it was obvious that the world was at the mercy of powerful, unstable forces. Forces beyond their control and often beyond their understanding. The weather might be pleasant one day and turn deadly thunderstorm the next. How do you explain this? Higher power, mother nature, whatever. Some kind of intelligence moving the world around you behind the scenes where you can't see. Now, if you want that to be your gods, you can. There's something for that. Or they are, you know, they are just a amorphous, powerful things without real drive that just affect randomly the world around you. You could do that too. And that's fine. But here are some examples on what you can do. Some general type of gods. The supreme being. The supreme being is God, Allah, whatever. It is an all-powerful being that is at the center of the universe that created everything and making stats for this creature is useless because it is exactly as powerful as it wants to be. That's it. That's that's the way most gods are in my game because I don't like the idea of gods being mortal. Okay. And this is the supreme god. This is this is Zeus. This is Odin. This is Brahma. These are these are all of the heads of pantheons. They are supreme beings. And in their domain, they are the end-all, be-all of existence. All of the lesser gods, all the gods below them, 
more commonly interact with the world because their interaction wouldn't just break the whole damn place. They are lesser power, but still vastly above mortals and even, even, you know, dragons and whatnot, vastly above that. But something that your, the player characters can encompass in their minds, can get their brains wrapped around. You can shoot that as your deal. That means by definition, you're never going to meet Zeus. You're never going to meet Thor. You're never going to meet Brahma. You're never going to meet Indra. You're never going to meet all these things because they are so powerful, so incomprehensible that you, you couldn't really know it was happening when it was, or you can go another way. They are powerful, supernatural beings. Powerful supernatural beings are the type of characters most frequently described in myths and legends. This is like a TSR era, or maybe not yet, but what I know of TSR era Dungeons and Dragons gods. They're these creatures, powerful supernatural creatures that have taken either the responsibility, duty, or for fun aspects of 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 mythology and lore and have personified these things these are not all powerful beings they are very powerful beings but beings that you can comprehend beings that your brain can encompass now these are these are like zeus and thor and indra and whatever that you can meet so almost like avatars are aspects of humanity to some degree like the the but they aren't they just took the role i got you Okay, so they existed before, but now they have taken the role of these things because all gods have one. Th- all gods in this category have one thing in common: they require worshippers to gather more power. The more worshippers okay. they have, the more powerful they are. He stole that from Immortal Rules. Maybe so. I don't. It, it, it was probably stolen from That's... Twilight Zone or Simpsons because everything everything is. It, right. <laughs> And then we have just gods, gods. The gods are the chief members of most pantheons. Any godlings or demigods, we're going to talk about that later. Generally less powerful and subservient. These gods are very powerful and usually have one or more area of power. These are gods were born because of aspects of reality. Created gods into existence. These, These are not all powerful beings that created the universe, but they are also not just very powerful supernatural creatures that assumed the mantle of these roles. No aspects of nature were present and gods were born out of that aspect for the sole purpose of managing it. So their, their duty came before their lives. Whereas if they were supernatural creatures, their lives became before their duty. And if they're supreme beings, well, life and duty were the same thing because they created all life and therefore they have all responsibility. So this right here is uh, a lot of what uh, modern day type type thing, I would say, thinking of gods are. You know, gods uh, were created because of nature, because it exists. Gods were born from that primordial soup. And then they are, they are now in charge of the thunder, the lightning, the wind, the sun, the moon, whatever. They were born to do that. So they didn't exist before the universe existed. They existed afterward. Okay. And then you can move, then we move on to, to things like godlings. These are, uh, godlings and, and demigods. I'm going to get more into them later on because they are racial character classes that are optional in this game. But godlings are newly born gods. Now, how does that work? Well, it depends on 
on what the game master has decided his world is going to treat gods as supreme being gods supernatural supernatural beings that assume the role of of uh you know of gods that is that's what's going to define the uh backstory of godlings they are either uh supernatural beings who were born of other supernatural beings who who uh who are the aspect of wind or sun or fire on this world and they they just take up the family business that could be it or the world is getting more complex more newer gods spontaneously generated because there's a new aspect for example god of electricity god god of energy god of uh god of spacefarers that's not going to exist in a in a primitive society but it will have a necessary function in a society that travels in space all, all i can think about is uh all right welcome aboard kid heathen dogs your supervisor so don't get in any trouble and he'll teach you the ways of being a god there you go <laughs> There you go. And if you if you like uh, Terry Pratchett Discworld, there is a god called Anoya. She is the god of drawers getting stuck halfway open. <laughs> now, is that a minor godling? Yeah. Yeah. I don't is. know. Mm, <laughs> that's that's a pretty important power that uh, okay. uh, frustrates Fair. the crap out of a lot of people. It depends. But before drawers existed, neither did Anoya. Or she existed in another form and she morphed due to the needs of the times. That's like godlings. And then there's demigods. Demigods are half, half god and half mortal. They're much weaker than godlings or gods because they're not born truly immortal. But they have aspects of both, of both worlds. You know, they have, they have the, the powers of both their parents. And so they can do unique things like fight against the gods and not be instantly struck because they're family or fight for the people, but not ruin the world because they're just not that powerful. Even at their full force, they can't crush a continent. So they get to do things that gods don't. And then we go to uh, minions of the gods. These are creatures who were either adopted by gods as their as their essential workers or um uh primary minions or uh whatever or the gods actually created this life to to serve them and their ideals depending on how your game master decided gods came about will answer this question if they no, no, I got, no, I got to ask this question. You're talking about gods and so forth, and I'm not sure. trying to trying to derail or change the subject, but I this see. is a Rift's conversion book. Yes. So this is about playing these things, or is this about like specifically what is the point of a conversion book for gods? Because gods don't just exist on Rifts. They also exist in beyond the supernatural they also exist in nightbane they also exist in palladium fantasy they also exist in heroes unlimited in one form or another this okay. book converts each god to mdc or sdc environment so okay. you're not limited in how you use them or where you use them that's why but, it's called a conversion book so this is more for npcs type type stuff yes gods are npcs 
I'm okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't stress that. I thought it was a given. But no, you cannot play. Well, it's riffs we're talking about. See, so never it's know. It's riffs we're talking about. But as as I get into the how to use gods, how to how to play them in your campaign, letting your player characters be Thor or Hermes is not a good plan. It's a plan to destroy your campaign. What if somebody's a dragon? Gods and dragons. Dragons are little little pieces of crap. They're like children to gods. They're, they're, <laughs> it's not even it's not even close. Gotcha. All right. It's not even close. All right. So the, the, those are minions of of a god or a pantheon. Uh, I'm going to give an example later on of Asgardian dwarves or Asgardian elves. These are dwarves and elves, but long ago they they were taken into the beautiful bosom of their of their pantheon, and they were given preferential treatment for their subservience and the preferential treatment is they're a lot better in most ways than regular dwarves and regular elves be because they've had god on their side for countless generations those are your minion races and pantheons of light and darkness th this is a generic term for good gods and evil gods most pantheons have good and evil gods in them and for the most part, the good gods band together against the evil gods of their own pantheon, and they constantly have a struggle. That's where the player characters come in. The struggle between the gods. That's the only way you can fight in a war of this magnitude. You can't fight the gods themselves. That's stupid. You're going to get crushed like an ant. But if you can bring a god's machinations on earth to a grinding halt, even for a second, that is a victory worthy of song. For generations to come, you could possibly do that for your for your pantheon of light or your pantheon of darkness. You can do that. That is the only victory that you can accomplish, and it is basically an end goal of a campaign. Sorry, I'm not going to get an alien intelligence. That's dumb. So, now, alien, if, but, but alien intelligences are more powerful than gods for the most part, right? Generally, yes, yes. Okay. Generally, yes. Now, uh, you can, if you want, use real-world precedent in your game. Now, uh, Kevin and company, when they when they make all these books, they do they did exhaustive research. Now, is it all correct all the time? No, because myth is just that. It's stories that people tell, and they can vary from region to region in the same area. And it has to fit a game. What's that? And it has to fit a game. Yeah, and it has to fit in the game. There, there's a lot of onion layers that are just not only unnecessary to play a role-playing game, but can actually bog down gameplay to the point of making it unplayable. So if you think that these gods lack the depth of their true myth, it's because of that. It would not be playable if they had all the aspects they have in the real-life myth. But... If you want, you can inject real life, more real life myth into it to make it more appropriate. Now, this might work if you have, say, a, uh, a single Pantheon game, like, like your game is based in ancient Greece. So the, the Greek gods are the only gods at the table. You can give the Greek Pantheon more depth because you don't have to worry about anybody else's Pantheon. You can do that and make it doable. Just don't go overboard. That's that's my thing. Don't go overboard. That's fine. So right there is what gods are. 
Now, a lot of it is up to your game master, how the gods work, where they come from, and what they do is based on the game master's decision on how they were created, how they think, how they react to people, how they use people, and then it all flows down from there. Hopefully this book gave you enough choices so you can make that decision for your table and have it be a workable one. There's not going to be a right one. Get that out of your head. When you're talking about religion, everyone's wrong and no one's right. That's <laughs> basically it. So you're going to have to do the best you can. Just make sure it's playable and doesn't slow down your game to a crawl. And then you're right enough. So let's look at can, some. Can you, can you show the table of contents? Or I'd like to see the list of gods. Uh, oh, just just to show what the, what this book gives in and of itself for the list of pantheons or gods. Okay. That's it. And then I'll, then I'll put the super chat up there. Okay. We are looking at Aztec, Babylonian, Greek, and Roman because they, toward the end, were very, very similar. Indian, uh, Norse, Persian, and that's it. Okay. So, I mean, the, there are a lot the, of the gods. Main, oh. main ones throughout history. Yeah. 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 Very, very gods of uh of areas or cultures that have had grand influence on the world that's what's introduced in this book and okay. i get it you know you have to cut for time right i mean there's so much myth in this world that you got to do something you got to cut somewhere and that's what they did my teutonic gods aren't in there yeah uh, you're right weird guys uh, five six four for two dollars thank you for the two dollars weird guys says which god gives you 52 virgins when you die it's supposed to be uh, 72. <laughs> it would have to be Persian God somewhere. Probably. Although the only one who would promise that would be would be Araman, and he's probably lying. <laughs> so nobody. <laughs> okay. So I've got a few things started here. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, I don't remember now. Did you guys do dragons and gods from Palladium? No, we have not. No, but we did not. Not but, from Palladium Fantasy, no. But Heathen Dog has talked about doing some Palladium Fantasy books uh, yes. on occasion. I don't think he's told me which ones they are, but that has that is one that's been requested a lot over time. So uh, maybe that can be on the list. I don't know. But uh, I think we have ideas to do more Palladium Fantasy, right? Walter mm -hmm. MC, a demigod PC can be relatively weak sauce, or it can be truly over uh, truly overpowered, depending on how you build it. Well, I'm glad you said that because that is our next segment is going to be the RCCs introducing this book. And one of them is the, is the demigod and it's stronger than you think <laughs> okay. stronger than I like demigod versus dragon hatchling. I would say that that's a, that's a toss up. That is a toss up. I would lean toward the demigod, but it could go the other way. That they are not weak sauce, not in my opinion. Okay. Uh, this book is mostly guy. about the gods of the Palladium fantasy world. No, it is not. It is it is gods of our world, the real world, based on the real world myths that can be transferred to any Palladium game anywhere. That's the purpose of this book. Create gods that people can wrap their head around because they've heard about them as they were growing up or as an adult. So it's some some uh, uh, attachment of awareness you can hang on to, and understand what's going on around you. That's why that's why Kevin. I imagine that's why Kevin chose real world 
uh, mythos and pantheon rather than making a, his own because it's easier for people to digest and understand. What um, what does it mean up there? I'm looking at your your page. Uh, so it says uh, Dark Olympus, imposters, Jupiter, evil, imposter. Well, think about it this way: uh, when magic left the Earth, God's influence on the the gods, the various gods' influences on the Earth diminished, and that's a power vacuum. And the power vacuum was filled sometimes by people who weren't gods but were very powerful beings, like true dragons and stuff like that and are masquerading as gods for influence and clout. So that, so Jupiter isn't Jupiter? No, Jupiter's a fake. Oh. Pluto's cool. a fake. Or Romans. So all the Roman gods, so the Greek gods are real and the Roman gods are fake. I see how well, it is. Racist. The Greek and Roman gods are the same. Yeah, well, it's because the Romans took them, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. The Romans took them just like, you know, Christianity took a lot of pagan religions, but that's what happened. If something is an actual God in a setting, then I personally prefer for it to be all powerful on its own. I agree with that without the need for worshipers. So the gods can only acquire worshipers for personal reasons. I, I okay, don't. Well, again, again, it's up to your game master. If your game master chose the supreme being option at the, at the center of the universe, then yes, the supreme being and, and the gods it spawns does not require worshipers and doesn't really uh affect the world directly because they can't they're way too strong any any singular action would would cause a calamity it actually says in the book that gods fighting each other on on a prime material plane like like earth or planning fantasy or whatever who are actually fighting each other causes can cause a cataclysm so yeah they don't they don't do it a lot because it murders everyone around them it's yeah. so damaging. And to me, that's the way they should be represented as well. I uh, I like I don't like worrying about numbers. Like, okay, if you have ten thousand subscribers, subscribers, well, wow. <laughs> if you have ten thousand followers, you're this power. If you have a million followers, you're that power. But I do like the 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 concept the you know, that hey, they want to get more. That that theoretically, they get more powerful as they get more followers. They uh, actually they actually do. That's exactly right. I just and don't want to count I the numbers. You know, how many get, ducats do I have no, today? And, and they don't count numbers here. Palladium does not count the numbers. Good. It's a, it says to manifest on the world, they have to have so many followers, usually in the thousands, but didn't give a number. But they are weakened because the faith of their followers is not strong enough to, to manifest their true being. But with enough followers, did, and they don't, they don't specify how many is enough, they can manifest as their true power on the earth. So it's up to the game master what those numbers are. At what point does an alien intelligence intersect with or become a deity? And uh, the alien intelligences have cults that worship them. Is it dependent on the number of their worshipers? No. An alien intelligence and a god are two distinctly different species. They make that abundantly clear. Now, there is... There is a precedent for an alien intelligence becoming a god through through a major spell of change but there's no precedent for a god becoming an alien intelligence isn't that a downstep for the alien intelligence it depends it depends uh the only the only upside of being a god is that you are truly immortal an well, alien intelligence except for the great old ones the first beings to ever have intelligence in the in the multiverse you have 
a time limit. You you age and you die. That's it. Gods. It's tens of thousands know. of years, though, right? Yeah, oh, it's hundred. It could be fifty to one hundred, fifty to two hundred fifty thousand years. Okay. But gods is like five hundred thousand years plus. Okay. Gods don't die. Godlings, godlings, the the weakest of beings that can be called gods live about as long as a Splugorth alien intelligence does. Okay. And then the last week's where we did the super chat. Uh, does the book have a path to godhood? Like no. a sorcerer, king progressing to a god emperor, or like Siric taking over the mantle of Merkel, Ball and Bane? Whatever. No. <laughs> no. There is no path for that. If you're not a god or you don't have blood of a god in you already, sorry, you're locked out. This game sucks. I quit. Yeah. You could pretend, you know, like, like Jupiter over here. You could pretend to be a god, but you're not. Well, you know, as long as I can have the illusion of being a god and they still worship me, I'll still uh, feel better you'll about still it. Get, you'll still get the feels and such. Okay, fine. Good for you. Good for you, All me, right. Buddy. So uh, what are you talking about in the next book? RCCs, you said? Racial, the, yeah, next, the god character classes? In the next, in the next video, we're going to go over the, the RCCs introduced in this book. Some of them are either newly formed gods or half gods. Others are races that have been protected and nurtured by gods for several generations and have changed because of it. Okay. I hope to see everybody then like subscribe and share. All right. Let me move page back. All right. Notes ready. Give me a sec. Sure. There's only one God that matters. We call it Google. Well, unless you're one of the weird bingers. Uh, chill, chill gamer. Uh, you are right about alien intelligence send out fragments of themselves to to other other universes to gain foothold there but but splugorth while they can do that they are not that they are not fragments of greater alien intelligences they are alien intelligence in and of themselves just a weaker variety a, a weaker strain you know that you, you you can't uh trace back the the fingers of power all the way back to the old ones you can't do that uh the old ones procreated created alien intelligence but each time it was a weaker weaker version of themselves splugorth and vampire alien intelligences are a weaker version of the great old ones but still i wouldn't call them weak so that's almost like uh vampire the masquerade where 13th generation is definitely different than you know first through fourth generation exactly but they're still vampires but they're much weaker than those that came before uh oh we got a big super chat i'm gonna I actually uh, no i'm i want to wait till it's on the video Okay, so okay, go ahead and start by. your segment, then we'll put right. that on the video so it's there for posterity. All right, stand by. <clears throat> All right, welcome back, Legionnaires. And today we're going to continue talking about the Rift's Conversion Book 2, Pantheons of the Megaverse, but we are going to talk about the racial character classes introduced in this book. Hey, did you want to be Hercules? You can be a demigod. Papa was a rolling stone and he rolled all over your mom and now you are half God. Good for you. Or maybe, maybe you want to be a newly born God, full God, but everything's new. 
and you're on the earth now to gain experiences and knowledge to help your pantheon later on. You can do that too. And there's more, but stay tuned to find out. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Show stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. Oops, I didn't take that off the screen. I'm a bad, bad person. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, let's uh, let's get that uh, super chat. Uh, we have a 25 ducat super chat here. Let's check it out. Can a PC become a demigod of no, fought fought killing. killing? Yes. You know what? I would allow it. <laughs> Just because <laughs> he hates the fought. I hate lot. the fought. I hate the fought. They're stupid and dumb, and I want them dead. And if if that takes creating a pantheon of fought killing. I, I like the thought from earlier editions of that. By the way, for folks who don't know out there, this is about the game Battlelords of the 23rd century. I like the thought prior to 7th edition. I don't like the 7th edition thought. Yeah, yeah. In the prior to 7th edition, they were super dicks. And uh, Thank you, CBK. And, Appreciate that. And it, and it was it was pretty funny. But, uh, you know, it all it all depends on, on how you want to run your campaign as a game master. Because there is lore, especially in Greek and Indian lore, of figs dates apples whatever you eat them and you become godly right there is that lore in in real life myth so you can transfer that to to your game if you wanted to but we're not gonna go that we're gonna go over some of the racial character classes yeah. tell me how to play a god i can That's finally be what i really am i can have no, a representation no. i can be myself slow your roll oh. first we're gonna start off with the protected races the races that gods have embraced set apart and gave their their best largesse to right Oops. humanity it, it, isn't one <laughs> humanity is not one of them but you know what is one of them the asgardian dwarves oh that one's actually elves the asgardian dwarves minions of asgard asgardian dwarves let's zoom in optional 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 character class the dwarves of Asgard were the great artificers and weaponsmiths of the gods. All the great magical weapons of Odin and the other gods were forged by them. These enchanters were powerful creatures in their own right, but were no match for the gods and were forced to become their servants. That sounds bad, right? Well, it is. I mean, te technically they're slaves, but it's a gilded cage because they can actually create rune weapons, and that is not something that mortals get to do. They can, they can do that. Now, what do they get above other dwarves now? They're Asgardian dwarves. They were, they were regular dwarves once. Now they're Asgardian dwarves. What's the difference? Let's find out. Let's see their stats. Supernatural strength. Automatically, they're supernatural strength. Automatically, they're MDC creatures in MDC environments. If not in an MDC environment, this is their SDC and hit points. It's actually not, uh, I mean, I'm thinking Heroes Unlimited, you know, because that's probably where something like this would exist. That's not all that much. No, it's, but you, it's 60 SDC base and Heroes Unlimited, it's between 20 and 35. 
and plus anything gained from OCCs and physical skills gets transferred over to SDC as well. So you could easily get 120, you know, at first level, right? And then your hit points are your PE plus 2d6 instead of 1d6, which is normal. And what do they get? They get the normal dwarven abilities of impervious cold, uh, seeing told darkness, but they get natural aptitude for weapon design, mechanics, and manufacturing, providing a 10% bonus to all mechanical, military, electrical, and computer skills. Now, and notice computer, computer, computer hacker. <laughs> the world has progressed, and the knowledge of the servitors of the gods has progressed in a commensurate fashion. So they are they are techno-based. They are technology-based. Before technology was just spears and guns and wagons and whatnot. Now it's computers and networks and all that stuff is now rolled into that. The dwarven computer nerd does not impress me. I, I understand, but it should because they're really good at it. They can make rune weapons. Mm. Which normal people can't do. Um, the dwarf also understands bio-wizardry, which is a splugorth created technology and they hoard it they don't give out their their bio wizardry it's a it's a biological technomancy basically and the, they do not the give that weapons, out uh at least from palladium fantasy aspect if i'm remembering correctly rune weapons can no longer be created they they're they no longer know how to create them the knowledge was lost on palladium fantasy of the current era okay but some gods and the Asgardians still have the knowledge to sure, create. But they would hold on to that after they saw what yeah. happened to the world. The, the dumb dwarves and the dumb elves, you know, not exactly and tried to blow everything up. Got it. Yeah. Yes. So they can still do it. And uh, remember, uh, Asgardian dwarves created Mjolnir, created the the belt of strength that Thor wears and his gloves, and and created uh, something Thropnir or something like that. The uh, Odin's odin's uh spear stuff like that so all of the greatest weapons in norse mythology were created by asgardian dwarves so th they have a they have a pretty good history about them so that is a servitor race now if you want to be an asgardian dwarf it's not going to be super game breaking sure you are an mdc creature but you're you're a minor one you're a minor mdc creature was it 1d4 times 10 2d4 times 10 so a maximum of 80 plus 1d6 per level experience mdc that's just a really good pair of armor there's a really good set of armor that's it right doesn't matter and the uh, the creation of rune weapons is a big thing but it's not something you can do every day right i mean it takes a long time the creation of rune weapons requires you to imprison a sentient powerful being inside the weapon eh. which is which is not well known but that's that's what's required to make a rune weapon, you know, so it's not something you can do on the daily. So that is a servitor race. Well, what about a non-servitor race? What about, say, godlings and demigods? Check them out. See with what? I'll start with the godling. Allowing An optional player and character, really? As a player character, yes. Yes. Yeah. Allowing godlings and demigods as player characters can be a challenge for players and the game master. For one, it means that at least one pantheon will become somehow involved in the affairs of the party. If you have a godling or a demigod in your party, you are going to get roped into that pantheon's nonsense at some point or another. It is that makes sense. 
happen. You as the game master have to plan for that, and you as the player have to prepare yourself for that. And accept it. Yeah, and accept it's going to happen. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. So do not introduce these RCCs lightly because you are going to be bound to the idea of gods from henceforth, forever. That's what's going to happen. A godling isn't just a super powerful creature. He will probably feel arrogant and maybe contemptuous and condescending of lesser beings. Others may be paternal and overly protective towards mortals. It all depends on what pantheon you come from and what alignment you are. These two things will, will generate your backstory and how you view mortals. That's the way it is. So choose the right pantheon. Choose the right alignment if you want to get along with your mostly mortal player group. Or, you know what? The, the, the best thing is to, is to do it like, uh, like most people do D20 Star Wars. Either everyone's a Jedi or no one's a Jedi. Either everyone's a godling or a demigod or no one is. But I Though, want them to worship me. Yeah, those are extremes, but it makes the gameplay simpler. It makes the gameplay easier, more digestible. But what do you get being a godling? Let's see. Six-sided dice. You are better wow. than a human being in everything. every aspect. <laughs> everything. There is no bad, there is no downside. Well, bad extra rolls. D extra D6 to IQ. Extra plus six, which is a max D6, basically, to mental endurance. Extra D6 to this. Extra D6 plus six to strength. Oh, my God. Extra D6 plus four to endurance. Extra D6 plus four to physical beauty. You're a pretty boy or pretty girl. You have female privilege, whether you're female or not. And speed, get out of here. Cheetah, suck it, chump. You'd really have to roll badly in order for you to come out of there somehow like, yeah. eh. Yeah, I mean, even if you rolled all ones on your speed, you're still 14. I mean, you're you're still average human speed, even though compared to a godling, you're 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 like Forrest Gump before he broke out of his uh broke out of his uh little leg cages, right? You're that guy. MDC, remember, you are a godling. You're you're a young god. You are an MDC creature. Physical endurance times 10 plus 1d4 times 10 MDC. Oh my god. Per level. Your physical, okay, let's say you roll completely average. That's going to be uh, 14 plus 4, 3.5, yeah, yeah, 14 plus 4. It's going to be 18 PE. You roll completely average, you're 18. That means 180 MDC plus 1D4 MDC per level of experience. This is also not counting any skills you might get that increase your physical endurance. There's a lot of them. And you can get them and it'll do it. That'll give you much more MDC later on. Starting off pretty crazy. Now, if you're in an SDC world, it gets even better for you because your physical endurance times 12 is your SDC. So instead of 18 times 10, it's 18 times 12. You get an extra 36. Woohoo. Good job. And your hit points are your PE times three plus 2d6 per level. You are, you're pretty damn tough on an SDC world. You are, you are no joke. And you have PPE and ISP depending on, on if you are a major master or minor psionic, or if you are a practitioner of magic, which you can be. And I'm going to get into that right now because you get to choose three of these 11 powers or abilities, depending on how you want your godling to go or depending on the pantheon you belong to 
if you belong to a pantheon of light, you will not be able to project darkness. If you belong to a pantheon of the earth, you will not be able to fly through the air. That's just the way it is. All right. But you get to choose three. Turn invisible, energy blast, energy aura. This is armor of Ithan spell. For every level that you have, you get 20 MDC recastable three times per day. Super strong, super tough, shapeshifter. Impervious to one type of attack. Any single type of attack. And no, not I want to be invulnerable to magic. No. Has to be a specific kind. Fire, cold, whatever. And then you're immune to the all, all fire. kind. All kind. Yeah, all fire, all cold. Mind control or possession. Not psionic attack. Specifically, mind control or possession. Now, you get to choose three, right? You can choose these three. You could choose three resistances. Fire, cold, and mind control. You're completely if immune. Add to 1d6 yeah. times 10 to the speed attribute. That's not to the speed effect or whatever, you know, when it's all mathed out. That's yeah. speed, so if you that's add 60 to speed. So normally the max I could roll is 18. Okay, technically 24. Yep. Okay, if you want to get really pedantic about it, 30. Um, well, let's say somehow I super exceeded all expectations and I got the 3d6, I got an 18, I rolled a d6, I got a 24. Somehow I rolled another six and got that 30 because I don't believe in math and my butt dice are loaded. Sure. That's still, that's that's an epically fast, the maximum fast character you could possibly ever be in all the remotest concepts. And I just said, I triple that. I triple that. And that's not even counting skills that increase speed. Running. Running gives you an extra 1d4 times whatever. Or some shit like that. It's crazy. You, you, could, you could be faster faster than most vehicles, most land vehicles, just by running. Well, certainly faster you know than what? a glitter boy. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're the son of Hermes. Right? That, that would explain that. Whatever. Super psionic powers, magic powers, and the ability to fly under one's own mystic power. You get to choose three of these. Three. Plus, you get, on top of your skills, you get plus one action per round, plus one d4 in initiative, plus one to strike, wow. parry, and dodge, plus two to save versus magic, plus six to save versus horror fact. Well, you're used to the horror fact thing. This is in <laughs> addition to attribute and combat bonuses gathered from skills. Yeah, man. It's badass. You think you think, you know, being a god is badass, even a minor one. So weird guy asks um for two dollars. Thank you, weird guy. So would you allow five D six drop the lowest roll? No. In my game, it's it's all the dice in a row. And if you want to re-roll, you can. You one of the things start over. Palladium really supports that mentality. Thank you, weird guy, for the $2. Uh, Palladium really supports that mentality of roll the number of dice stated. And, well, I don't necessarily do in order, although there are caveats that because sometimes you have to do it in order. But uh, really, really impresses that on you because sometimes, you know, depending on your race, you'll have 3d6 if you're a human, but 4d6 if you're an elf or 2d6 if you're an elf, you know, kind of thing. So uh, changing the die... It becomes more uh, more of a hassle in Palladium than say it does in D and D, where technically everything's three d six. So mm -hmm. I pretty and as Heathen Dog likes to say, outside the Rifts Ultimate Edition, because that book breaks this rule. But uh, between three and fifteen, there's doesn't no matter. Doesn't yeah, you could have a three. Who cares? 
I mean, three speed, I guess, would technically matter, but yeah, 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 yeah. Speed is really the only one we're like, oh well, I just, I just can't walk very well. Okay, fine, whatever. But for strength, for IQ, three is the same as fifteen. Yeah. Same. It has, it has no, no appreciable game difference. Anyway, so that is the good stuff of Godling. Here's the rub. All right. Sure, you live for fifty thousand years. Sure, you can live virtually anywhere. Wow. Sure, you have allies in your pantheon. And enemies, enemies of your pantheon are also your enemies. That's the problem. All of your enemies are not the gods who are easily identifiable. They are minions who are not easily identifiable. So you could have backstabbers all around you and not know it. You, 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 the game master can embroil you into this huge underground network of nonsense just because your pantheon's against another pantheon and now you got to do it you can't say no you're a godling if if your pantheon says go and investigate this you're not going to say hey, i'm busy you're going to be busy in the middle of a star don't do that right and uh standard equipment blah 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 cyber never get cybernetics and, and bionics never agree to a full bionic conversion or a mom implant because uh godlings have the regeneration <laughs> of gods a mom implant for a god that, <laughs> making a god crazy is the dumbest idea i've ever heard i could see loki doing it the dumb he's he's not exactly known for his far-reaching thinking of the future right <laughs> so yeah i get that but it's just the dumbest idea ever now the problem the main problem with demigod and godling is that you are accepting problems of your pantheon into your game session, into your group. You are accepting that. Not everyone at the table may think as you do. Not everyone at the table may want the gods meddling in their day-to-day -day nonsense. That's something you and your game master have to talk about and find some common ground with if he wants to use godlings and demigods. All right? Now, the demigod. Just like Hercules, just like a uh, what was the Indian guy? Uh, I forget his name. There was an Indian guy who was who was like Hercules. But uh, your mother or father was a god, and the opposite the opposite gender was was your mortal parent, and you are half god. Now, does this give you lots of bonuses compared to humans? Yeah, yeah, it does. That god blood is no joke, but. As far as the celestial scale that goes, you barely rank. Barely. So you the godling so much, is stronger? You are so much weaker than even a godling. Oh. It's crazy. But you are so much stronger than a normal mortal. It's also crazy. You're in that no you're in that no man's land in between mortal and godling. And it's a wide chasm. You're stuck in the middle of it. Here's what you get. Now, as you can see, also, there is no downside. It's not as much an upside, but there is no downside stat-wise. You are better than 3D6 everywhere. Everywhere you are bonused. Well, except right? for physical endurance. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. Physical endurance is exactly the same. Everything else is greater. But what about MDC? Yeah, you are also a mega damage <laughs> creature on mega damage worlds. PE times 5, not times 10 times five is your mdc plus 2d6 per level and hey get this you're probably normal sized person you can yes. wear armor on top of that yes you can yes you can 
And if you're on an SDC world, instead of PE times 12, like the godling, you're PE times eight. Is that still great? Yeah. 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 It's still great. And uh, PP and ISP is appropriate to your specific OCC. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. Plus 46. Plus 46. Right. So here's the deal. OCCs and skills. The demigod can pick any OCC that fits his human slash DB background and interest with the following exceptions Uh on riffs. Full conversion, cyborg, robot, juicer, or crazy. You can't be any of those things because it's not possible. Not possible. If you, because you can't get implants, your yeah. the God blood will reject them because you have natural regeneration. Natural regeneration is the enemy of all implants. Your body will force them out, physically force them out. And it's going to hurt a lot. You're not going to die from it, but you wish you did. <laughs> and I don't, if you, if you get made into a full conversion cyborg and left alone, your brain, your brain stem and your lungs or stomach or whatever's left will start growing a whole body from it very slowly, very painfully inside of a mega damaged shell. That's going to hurt. Yeah, I'm immortal. (laughs) Oh yeah, you're immortal. No, you're not immortal. You're not immortal. You're a demigod. You're not immortal. No. Heroes Unlimited, full conversion, cyborg, robot, alien, magic, or mutant animal. The GMA ruled that if an OCC would offend a demigod's pantheon, the character might be somehow prevented from pursuing it. In general, demigods tend toward man-at-arms, magic practitioners, or psionicists. That alien one surprises me. Well, you're not an, uh, a Heroes Unlimited alien is not like a supernatural creature alien. It's more like a lizard man alien or a gray, a gray alien from Roswell or something like that. You are not that. You are half god and half a normal person on this planet. Okay. Whatever race that would be. Elf, human, dwarf, gnome, whatever. You're half gnome god, Jesus. All right, never mind. Your average lifespan is only between 1 and 4,000 years. But there are ways in the lore that demigods can become full-blown gods. Some, some pantheons say that three gods have to get together, work together to make you into a god. Usually it's because of great service you've done to the pantheon or great deeds you've done you know, in, in service of the people and your pantheon loves that. So you become a God of something, right? Or it's, it's, you ate the magic apple or date or fruit or gourd or vegetable or whatever in their mythos that, that gives God powers. If you're already a demigod, instead of giving you God powers, which you already have, you just become a God happens. Uh, enemies, enemies of the parent deity and his pantheon. Now, he, here's the bad thing about being a demigod. You may not even know. You may not know that you have god blood, especially if you're in an SDC world. You're just tougher. You're just bigger. You're just stronger. You're smarter. It's a beautiful accident of birth. But you were born with enemies, strong enemies, relentless enemies that want to hurt you to hurt your mother or father. And you won't see them coming because you may not even know they exist. Um, Why do all the dark shadows keep picking on me? Exactly. You know, Hercules, uh, his, his family, his first family was destroyed 
And uh, a, a lot of the stories say that Hera sent sent uh, you know assassins to kill his family because he didn't like that 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 Zeus. No, she didn't like that that Zeus got got busy with with his mom uh, Alchemania, I think her name was, or something like that. He didn't know. He didn't at that point. He he either didn't know or didn't believe he was the son of a god. He couldn't defend his family against something he couldn't conceive. Didn't she make him eat rocks or something like that too? No, that was that was, that was uh, that was Zeus's father, Kronos. Was, okay, yeah, that was a something thing. like that. Yeah, different thing. But uh, so you have to know that you're related to gods to defend yourself against other gods' people, right? Or else it's going to be a complete surprise. Uh, let's see, powers. There is one. I did I miss it? It says in here somewhere that you get to pick one power of the demigod. Yeah, I don't know. I forget where it says it, but as a as a demigod, you get to pick one of the eleven godling powers instead of three. You get one instead of three. It's still so more than, and, and you still get an OCC on top of that, right? Yeah, and you get an OCC on top of that, right? So if if you want to be a Hercules clone, you will keep rolling until you max out your strength, and then you will choose super strong. On top of that. And just like, just like your godling, you know, family, your strength is, should be supernatural. Let me make sure. All attributes are considered to be supernatural. There you go. Your strength is supernatural. So if you want to have like a 40, 50 strength, you can feasibly get it and be Hercules as a demigod, because he is, and play that. You can. It's fine. So, absolutely fine so supernatural strength is pretty easy to understand uh what yeah. is supernatural say ma or supernatural um physical endurance even supernatural if mostly when whenever you see something with supernatural physical endurance that means it is an mdc creature okay i got it, it automatically that makes sense an MDC creature. yeah if it's a minor mdc creature you take their sdc and their hit points, add them together, that's it. A major MDC creature would be like gods and demigods, or godlings and demigods that multiply either by 5, by 10, by 12, whatever. Oh. But they're, they're considered more major. Okay. All right. And again, su uh, supernatural MA, supernatural uh physical beauty that's more that's more role play type stuff that, that's that's more for the for the game master to embellish on it's they don't don't have a whole lot of mechanics in this book to support that so if you have supernatural beauty the game master would introduce you or the other person with supernatural beauty in a way that makes you in awe of them you have to role play that but as mechanics go it really doesn't give you much. Okay. Not in the way of mechanical advantage. All right. And then it gives uh, each of these has uh, uh, their own experience chart. Stuff like that. But those are the, the, those are the main RCCs. Now there's one OCC is the Rift's Priest. That is a priest of a particular god of a particular pantheon. I'm not going over that today because all of their powers, abilities, 
and mindset is going to be based on whatever pantheon and god that the game master says is in his world. Is it similar to the Palladium Fantasy priest? Or is it, it something completely different? different than the Palladium Fantasy? Okay. Are, you are specifically a priest of a god in this book. And so okay. it's so varied, an example would be meaningless because it could be completely different in your game. Okay. So That's let's fair. look at what we have started. Um, before I put a couple up there, um, Patriotic Gestalt over on Rumble uh, was talking, you know, when you were talking about uh, the dwarves, I think that's when this came up, uh, yep. said uh, Cyber Gods. I, I think you're talking about, the, well, you're talking about le- like an electric god and so forth. Yeah. I think that's when that chat came up. The other one he said was, uh, it's a godling like a space marine from uh, um, Warhammer. No, no. A space marine was 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 a human that was changed into this walking Superman, right? A godling was born of two gods or one God that just split a small essence of himself off and created a separate entity. You were never mortal. You were never normal. You were always a God. You're just a young God. So you're not as strong. You're new to your, your godliness. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're new to existence. So you're not all the way there with everyone else yet. You're still on board. God. And a demigod was never a normal person either. You were always half God from the moment you were born. A space Marine is born a human, born a dude, made into a Superman. So they're, they're, they are, you know, fundamentally different. All right. Kill Raven says the various facts clarifications make these RCCs a fair bit stronger. Okay. I mean, uh, I didn't, I usually don't go over, uh, errata for the palladium books. There's a lot of it. I'm sure. And there's errata on top it. of the errata. There's errata there's... on top of errata. It's going on for 40 Forum years, posts so. that clarify the errata that's on top of yeah, the errata. <laughs> exactly. There's really no point in going and going over it because it would just be a time sink. And by the way, I, I have to say it, but, uh, on rumble $25 from patriotic assault. Thank you very oh, much. He says, thank you. you. So, uh, appreciate that. Uh, like, and, and by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, Rumble, for at least the year 2023, gives creators 100%. So YouTube takes 30% off the top. We don't even want to talk about Twitch. Um, yeah, but uh, Rumble, 100%. So that $25 is well spent because we get it all, and I'm going to bathe in it, all in pennies. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next one. Let's see. There we go. Okay. Two surprises when I got my after the bomb. Close that. There we go. A uh, one is signed by Eric Wuchik. Wow, because he died a long time ago. And the second surprise: the writing so represented time. Uh, well, actually, I don't mind the writing of the book except for the backstory. The backstory just the who some high school co- kids made a virus and the entire yeah, world went to war. Yeah, the 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 new after the bomb backstory is significantly dumb. Should have just copy and paste. I mean, come on, Kevin, you love copy paste. <laughs> you do it all the time. You should have done it for the background for the old after the bomb, make it the new after the bomb. Just well, the old that. after the bomb was similar. This one just expanded upon it, but every expansion that it did to it was, uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I hate to say that cause I love after the bomb, but, yeah. uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that, but uh, Hey, that's awesome though. Especially since it's signed yeah. by Eric, you know, yeah. treasure that that's for sure. Chill I put this one up here. Uh, Oh, nope. This wasn't, I thought I grabbed another one. Uh, maybe I did later. I'm not sure. Um, 
boxing and some of the other physical skills can really break a build in men. Yes. Yes, it can. Now, the reason for boxing, weightlifting, uh, acrobatics, and all that stuff, the purpose, the original purpose, to my understanding, is to supplement low physical stats. The only problem is if you already have high physical stats, it makes them ridiculous. Well, the, the boxing concept to me, I don't have a problem. You know where I have the actual problem with boxing, yeah. but uh, it, I can understand if you trained as a box, even an amateur boxer, but then you should represent that with your character as in, hey, you went to the gym at least three, if not five or seven days a week. You were training because you're eating the right stuff. You're doing the right things. Now, that might be going a little too far for role playing. But generally speaking, this is, you know, I'm going to take the boxing skill for the extra tech. And then your character doesn't portray any of that. Even Connell, right. Con Connell, who's been on the Friday night stream, he's trained in boxing. You wouldn't know it today necessarily. But I bet you if we were to get in a fistfight, he'd still knock my ass out. <laughs> Like, you know, uh, but the, the point being is that he'll sometimes remind you that he was a boxer. He'll talk about boxing. He'll talk about things that had happened. So for me, the, the real rules issue comes in. You get the extra attack across the board. I don't mind if you get an extra attack in melee or unarmed combat. I don't like that you get it in ranged combat as well. Uh, you know, but yeah, it, like Keith and Doug said, it was either to bump up, I, I would say weightlifting and athletics specifically. Look, you little nerd, get out there and join a sports team because no kid yeah. of mine is going <laughs> to. You know. Exactly. You're going to be on the wrestling team. You're going to be on the cross country team. You got to, you got to, you got to fit up you little weakling. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. But it, yeah, it was meant to lift up stats that are poor to, to, to something that is acceptable to the player. And it turned out to be a crutch for the other thing. Now, this is the one I was thinking of. Uh, for humans, I allow people to roll the base stats all at once. Roll 4d6 eight times. Drop the lowest on each roll. I Gross. hate that method Gross. in every game. Yeah, I, I hate that method in every game. But I will, I will side with it in this one, grudgingly one example or concept. Rifts is kind of a high-powered game. Yes, yes. Okay, especially, especially if, if, if you are playing a human that rolls 3d6 for everything, if that is true, then so, most of the time I will allow you to place them wherever they want because they are all the same role. They all had yeah. the same probability of being a four as opposed to an 18. Same here. All of them had the same. But in rifts, every race has a different die total depending on the stat. Now the stat is not movable. You can't move it because it doesn't represent the same thing as strength to intelligence. It's no longer a one for one. If you have 46 PS and 2D6 IQ, you can't switch PS and IQ after you roll. It doesn't work. Right. How does and it think you roll 2D6 and you got a 21? The lowest each roll. Stupid. Yep. Stupid. 3D6 down the line real fast. That takes a total of 20 seconds and you accept it or you roll again. And, and how hard is that? It's not the wonderful thing about palladium, especially riffs, but all of palladium is through those physical skills or your OCCs. Like uh, when I was making a couple of my characters, it said minimum attribute here is 17. If it's not a 17, make it a 17. Great. That's getting my three. Okay. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> no, juicer's the same way. 
Yeah. Choose your physical skills the same way. If you roll a three in strength and a three in endurance, the moment you choose the juicer OCC, that becomes 20 and 19. Yep. Minimum. Minimum. So, so there you go, right? And I think finally, the same way in some in some aspects in the ultimate edition. I forget. I and last one uh, on here, a weird guy says, uh, as a GM, I'm tempted to let player one be a demigod, player two be a cosmonite, player three be a vagabond. I just want to see how bad they complain. Um, uh, the person that's going to complain, actually, no, they're all going to complain. They're all going to complain, but all for different reasons. The demigod is going to complain because he's not as powerful as the cosmonite and he can't fly off into spacing and get, get shot by battleships and just shrug it off. The cosmonite is going to be pissed off because he... He is bound by the by the D and D TSR D and D Paladin rules, whereas the the demigod and the vagabond can do whatever the hell they want, for the most part, and just get away with it. And the vagabond's going to be pissed off that sure I know everything, and compared to me, these other two are stupid, but they can take on armies by themselves, whereas I got this pea shooter and have to hide behind this wall. What the hell? They're all going to complain. You know why? Because they're players, and players suck. Yeah, and well, weird guy is is also one of those that's still in the bandwagon that the van, that the vagabond sucks. The vagabond does not suck. The vagabond does not suck. He is he's he's the skill master. He 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 fills up all the all of the uh, all of the support roles in a group. He can do it. He can do it all. What I want is, uh, and it's not just the vagabond. There's a couple others out there that people complain about. I would love when Kevin's on for Kevin to sit here. Maybe we'll ask this question because we already asked him the question about the vagabond once. But say, okay, Kevin and Sean. People still insist. Give us your example of why these roles work and why a different OCC wouldn't be better. Oh, I, th I thought you were one of the because we get a bunch of people that complain about the vagabond weird guy. I'm sorry. I thought you were. I thought you were one of them that says no. no he, the, he likes the vagabond. It's okay. just it gets it gets a bad rap, and it does. He's he's not wrong. The vagabond gets a bad rap. The the, the vagabond is not a combat god like all the men at arms class or even the spellcasters and even psionicists who aren't really combat. They're more support, but they can still fight better than a vagabond, at least in the short term. But the vagabond before the fight and after the fight, they're, they're, they're masters of the party. They, they get shit done. And they aren't the limited to a scope like the cyber no. doc or no, yeah. no, they are not. They're not limited in their application. They can take a lot of skills because they get a lot of skills so they can be good at everything. That's not fighting or magic using or scientist. If it's not those three things, they're great at it. Now, to be fair, if your game master is only putting combat A, combat B, and combat C in front of you, well, that's... Oh, yeah, here, uh, uh, Walter and, and Weird Guy both said, hey, a, a demigod with the Vagabond OCC and Super Psionics is going to be a badass mofo. <laughs> well, demigod anything's going to be a badass mofo. I mean, come on. That that's just how it is, but you're not wrong, man. I mean, you have all the power of a frontline fighter with with all all the skill and experience of a vagabond. You are a, what I would say, you know, a perfect storm of a character. You can do everything. And I, I and I can't be proven wrong. Okay, you got one more segment coming up. What is that about? As I make sure people like, subscribe, and share. By the way, YouTube hates us. Various reasons for that, usually because of Friday. But uh, so please share, share, share. I, I've been looking more and more at the numbers, and the numbers don't lie. And the numbers are like, hey, when our stuff is put out there, people click it. 
But yep. unfortunately, apparently, YouTube is not putting it in front of people. So, yep. My next video and last video, the third video, is going to be talking to the game masters. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you example gods, what they look like, and how to run them in your campaign in a way that will not be game breaking. I always oh, wait a couple of seconds because I have a little weird when I when I do the highlights from Twitch, it doesn't always grab it at the right exact spot. <laughs> I get you. I get you. All right. I'm going to get back in a second. Get ready. Sometimes be a second off. All right. Um, oh, actually, there were plenty of those. So I hope segment three today doesn't go too long. But if it does, it's OK, I suppose. I'm I'm actually mostly prepared. And yeah, there are a bunch of comments. Gonna have to have heathen dog start reading comments on his own he does that for some degree because he's getting all types of comments from past videos now i can't keep up with that all right okay whenever you're ready <clears throat> all right legionnaires welcome to the third and final video for the rifts conversion book two pantheons of the megaverse we've already spoken about what are gods we've spoken about the racial character classes introduced in this book and now we're going to speak about the gods themselves how to incorporate them in your campaign for the most fun and the least disruption the core values of hashtag rpgate and any good tabletop group are escapism not representation entertainment over activism and natural organic inclusion not forced diversity Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Chill Stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. All right, welcome back, everyone. Like I said, we're going to talk about gods themselves. Going to look at a couple of them. Talk about me more. I love it. Talk about you more. That's right. We're going to look at a couple of them, and we're going to talk about them, and then eventually how to fit them into your campaign. All right, so first we're going to go to the right page. No. Ah. Oh, it isn't just me. <laughs> Gods in your campaign. Here we go. That's because I also have a potato computer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. Pantheons of the Megaverse offers over 100 beings of enormous power. As one might suspect, the average group of adventurers won't have a chance of defeating them. Oh, Th this is important. Okay? No, no. This is the whole goal of the game. We are going to take them down one by one. Stop. Stop. This is this is oh. an important distinction. If your group is fighting an actual god and they win, you at come here, you as game master screwed up hard. They should never win. Should they all die? Probably, but they might not. But they should never win. Gods and, and be beings like this, this goes back to like the whole vampire idea from DD. They're not stupid. Yes. And it actually gives rules right now. All right. These are some of the ways you can, the book says you can involve gods in your campaign. 
the patron or chief enemies of your adventure party or particular player character. If the God is a patron of your, your enemy or your party or one of your characters, some or all the characters might go on a quest at behest of the deity or feel compelled to help a priest or worshipers of that God or defeat the enemies of your patron pantheon. All right. So once you introduce gods into your campaign, pantheons have to come as well. And that means you're going to have built in enemies. Mm -hmm. This is both good and bad. Bad because you as a game master are now forced to put this content in your game or else it doesn't work. But good because now you have hooks that the players can't get around to push them into your campaign. To push and they're them free for you. You don't have to what? think about them. They're free for you. You don't have to yeah, think about them. They're, they're right free. there. They're absolutely free. And they can't deny the hook. They can't say, I don't want to go save that, that priest. Pfft. I want to go over here and build my thieves guild. No, God's going to punish you for, for not doing what he says because he's God. More importantly, he's your God. You said so. Now he's mad. God hates you. You're in trouble. So you can't deny that adventure hook. That is a good way to keep players on track. Will they like it? Probably not. Will they deal with it? Well, you're going to have to massage that in there. But yeah, they should. An occasional role-playing encounter. Uh, a servitor race, like Asgardian dwarves or elves or scorpion people or whatever, or a godling or demigod of your pantheon, you meet them in some random encounter. Maybe they're fighting their enemies and you go and help. looks like they were going to lose and you know this guy. Oh, crap, that's Hercules. He's a good guy. I'm going to go help him. And you help him and he gives you favor. But now you are, you are embroiled in that conflict. That, ga that gave way to the birth of a new antagonist. Either a cult a minor deity or a major deity if Hercules had to go and Hera said so and you just defied Hera now Hera's pissed at you got him right it creates new adventures by you just stumbling upon either minions of a god or a demigod or a godling of a pantheon it will create a brand new adventure or a bunch of side quests Dreams, visions, and omens. Once you introduce gods into your campaign, now you can give the players clues. If they serve that god or that pantheon, God can go into your dreams and give you portents of things to come or a guidepost on where to go next. And that's a trope as old as time itself. Oh, old, old as time. Old as time. He's right. And if you want to say no to this, you can. Will you, will you, you know, get the ire of your God? Probably. <laughs> Probably. But again, this is a hook that the players ought not to refuse. Another good way to get your players to do what you want. Conflict. The presence or involvement of a God or pantheon of gods can escalate or reduce the intensity to magnitude of conflicts, large and small. Let me explain. Uh, let's say that the character with a nasty attitude who is armed to the teeth visits a small village where nobody has any powerful weapons or defenders. This is the fear of every outlying village in Rifts. Somebody's going to come in with a big gun and kill you all, take your, take your children, take your wives, and leave you with less arms or no life at all. Maybe the belligerent character defiles a sacred artifact or temple and or physically or emotionally abuses a priest or even an innocent townsperson. <laughs> and guess what? 
you pissed off a god you didn't know existed. You like, me too to priest. Yeah, you me too to priest, dude. And guess what? God is pissed. But I don't believe in that God too bad. He believes he, in you. He bitch. believes in you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and he believes you suck. So he's going to keep sending his minions until you pay for your crime, usually with your life. But if you want to take penance to get the God off your back, you can do that. Rebuild the town, spread, be, become a worshiper of the God and spread the gospel. Maybe he'll forgive you. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't it's a better chance than you living on your own for any length of time because God hates you. And these you're going to die at some point because of it. And we have, we have comment from Kevin. I often play these situations for humor. First, I try to give the troublemaker every opportunity to settle down and back off. This is hinting. You are in, you are in the church of Zeus. The head priest of Zeus is before you. He's begging for mercy. I pull out my gun and I shoot his hand off for fun. Okay. You pull your gun. You aim at the high priest's hand. Suddenly, the effigy of Zeus moves his eyes and is now looking at you. I still shoot him. Hey, Zeus, watch what I'm about to do. Yeah. That is someone who deserves no pity, right? no remorse, and no quarter. He made his bed. He's got a lie in it. All right? But give him a chance to make a good decision. Don't make him make a good decision. Give him the opportunity to make the right call. If he doesn't take that opportunity, well, <laughs> have fun with it. Have fun torturing him. Trust me, he's going to be pissed. But the rest of the players at the group are going to go, man, you kind of had it coming. That's what's going to happen. All right? No, so, that's it. We're just here trying to have fun. A god shouldn't care about things like that. A god cares when you when you kill his main worshipers. Because I told you, gods care about worshipers for a reason. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Battles between gods. Here's the thing. Gods rarely fight each other. For a couple of reasons. One, they don't want to die. And another god can kill them. Mortals can kill him too, theoretically, not in practice. Only in stories. Only in stories that people made up, right? That's what happens. <laughs> you know, in uh, just like Independence Day, you know, humans win because we, we wrote the story. If it was a real life scenario, the first half of the film, and then you, you programmed a, an AI to simulate the next half of the movie, at the end of the movie, we would be a servitor race of the alien beings. The if we're not like, all dead. They, tried to, they just tried to access our computer system. What? <laughs> yeah. So, and the other reason is that the fallout of a battle between two gods is like World War III. It will cause something similar to the Great Cataclysm. There will be earthquakes. There will be volcanoes. There'll be tsunamis. There'll be ley line storms everywhere. Rifts going out of control because the power that gods wield is so unfathomable to mortals. Throwing around hundreds of MDC of damage in five seconds, three seconds, 15 seconds. It's crazy. Oh, a dead god brings in a rift just a chaotic rift that would be horrible 
That would be horrible. Like the rift forms right on the dead god's body. On the you know, dead like... corpse of a god, perpetually fueling the magic of the rift that yeah, here constantly we go. cycles between hell dimensions. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Not for the players. They're boned. But awesome for the story. Yeah, there's, there's already a dimension book, and I know we're going to talk about that now, but isn't there a dimension book already that goes to hell? Well, there, there's not hell, hell. There's hell dimensions. Well, yeah, you, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the pantheons the game master chooses. This is going to affect the trajectory of the campaign. If you choose a Norse pantheon over an Indian one, if you choose a uh, a Persian pantheon over a Greek one, it's going to affect not only the flavor of your campaign, but how it moves forward because all these gods have different machinations built into them. Greek gods don't necessarily want the same things as Persian gods or as Norse gods or as Indian gods. They're going to want something different. Therefore, you as a servant of the pantheon of that religion will be asked to do things their way or to, to you know, codify or edify or whatever them. An Aztec right? god wants all the beating hearts. Yeah, an Aztec god wants babies thrown into fires, whereas a Greek god doesn't really care for it. You know, that's what happens. So it's going to change the flavor of your campaign depending on the pantheon you choose. So as a game master, choose wisely. Uh, plots and conspiracies. Again, choosing a pantheon will choose some adventures for you. Because if your character is a, is a follower of set, that means you are going to have to do set things for set. And these are all pretty bad. These are all assassinations, thieveries, uh, upsetting governments, stuff like that. That's what Seth's going to ask you to do. But if you, if you say worship Odin, he's going to ask you to do warrior fighty, fighty, kill things. You're not going to do espionage or assassinations. That, that has no honor. No, dying in battle with your enemy right in front of you. That's what Odin wants you to do. So that's what, that's what he's going to ask you to do through proxies. So the plots and conspiracies of your campaign, again, are will be colored by the gods you choose your player characters can and can't have. And of course, uh, there's the quickie mega damage conversion. Like I said, we're going to go right now. Right after this, we're going to look at some gods. But yeah, I, have, I have an issue with that title. Don't use the word quickie. Sorry. No, no, no. I know that's what it says there, but it's like the it's like the uh, the Savage Worlds thing of Benny's. I don't, yeah, hipster, I don't want enough. hipster language in my book. It should just say quick, quick right. mega damage conversion. Right now, the quick part is if it's MDC damage and it's from a magic from a god, erase the M, write an S, and you're done. You're done. Oh, uh, Zeus's magical lightning bolt. Does 46 times 10 MDC per shot? Nope. 46 times 10 SDC in an SDC world. And you're done. Is that a perfect conversion? No, man. It's a quick conversion. If you want to do more math on that, you can. But you don't need to. All right. Let's look at uh, some gods here. That's the priest, the Rift Priest I was talking about earlier. I'm not going to get into him because it's way, way too much. Okay, here's some Aztec gods. Okay. Uh, 
Tezcan nope, tapioca. Tapioca, the tapioca. God of darkness. Tapioca, god of darkness. And uh, his MDC is 63,000. That's it? 63,000. Couple boom guns, we got him. Yeah, right. But 12,600 to start on Rift's Earth and grows with the number of followers. That's the thing about being a god. In your own dimension, Zeus on Mount Olympus, right? Odin and Thor in Asgard, they are the, the, the bigger number. They are in their element. They are at full power. Going to another plane of existence, the power level is is directly proportional to the number of followers that believe in you. Rift's Earth doesn't have a whole lot of Thor worshipers. Because no one worships Thor anymore. So he's weaker. Even, even Tapioca, the god of darkness, you, you love that, don't you? No, is I'm thinking weaker. of the Rick and Morty thing with he's just a Zeus. <laughs> there you go. He's just a Zeus. There it is is weaker on Rift's Earth because he can't manifest his full power due to the lack of worshipers. So that's a big difference between a god and an alien intelligence. An alien intelligence can go anywhere. His number is the same. Doesn't rely on worshipers. A god relies on worshipers outside of his home dimension. And we have a change for SDC. 4,000 and 2,300. Notice there's no two values involved here. Is just the one value. You know why? Because it's a quickie convert or quick conversion. That's what it's for. I mean, that is the official title. Is the official thing, right? And the rest of it is normal. I mean, uh, uh, he's considered a fifteenth level warrior, twelfth level Leyland Walker, and twelfth level Stone Master, which is pretty cool. Uh, regenerates forty six times ten MDC per minute. Yeah. Special transform into human or giant monsters. Special. The power of corruption can cause enemy to surrender to the worst side of his personality. Characters who fail save versus magic rolling a 19 or higher to save. Good luck. Are suddenly controlled by the dark side of their nature, giving vent to feelings of anger, hatred, envy, revenge, and others. These feelings are overwhelming, and the victim will release them in intense, extreme, and obsessive ways. This is why mortals don't fight gods. This son bitch doesn't even have to fight you. He snaps his fingers or looks at you sideways, and suddenly you're murdering and raping the group. <laughs> Preferably in, in, in the other order. Yeah, he he walks away whistling some some Dixie that was in his head a second ago and then leaves. Guess who won? The God. Why? Because he's God. That's one. Let's look at another one. Uh, what do we got? No, it's a bio. These are all, these are um Bioborg warlock okay yeah, these these are pretenders these are the people who are pretending to be gods because Ooh, it gives them influence and it actually hides them from other more powerful beings the pantheon of olympia the greek roman gods let's see our about our buddy zeus let's see what he's got One hundred thousand mdc yeah, he's only got 20,000 on Rifts. We can do 20, it. 20,000 on Rifts Earth, which is no joke. 20,000 MDC is no joke, but okay. it's uh, weaker 
It's weaker than any Splugorth and weaker than any vampire intelligence on Earth. So qu question for you, a little off topic, but related to this. When you have a creature that has 20,000 MDC, sure. whether it's a Splugorth or whether it's, you know, it's whatever. How do you run that kind of combat so that it doesn't take seven hours? You now, I already know an answer or two, but I'm, I'm asking you because a few okay. people have talked about there is, when you get too much MDC, the combats take too long, blah, blah, blah. I get it. There is one way to do it, and that is the smart way. No one player group of, five, of four, five, six, seven people are going to be fighting Zeus alone because they're just going to die. So this is an army fighting Zeus. And when it's the army's turn, the army does damage. Ding, 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 ding. So every round that, that people are still alive, Zeus is taking damage from boom guns, from fusion blocks, from, uh, if, it's the, uh, if it's the Starship Troopers universe, nuclear hand grenades, you know, whatever. He's taking damage every single round from this large group of people who are also fighting him from the right side and left side, whereas you're in front. Violence holds right. everything, says SDF-1 main gun and massive yeah. hordes of missiles. Okay, yeah, the, the SDF-1 could, could kill a god on Earth, but it would also destroy the Earth. So, potato, potato, right? No, you don't <laughs> want that. All right. Uh, and what can Zeus do? Let's see that lightning bolt thing. I said 46 times 10. I don't know what it really is. Uh, generate lightning bolts at will. Each bolt does 1d6 times 10 MD. Cost him no PPE to create and can be created as often as a number of hand-to-hand -hand attacks per melee round. Range 4,000 feet. Okay. Well, that's not as good as I thought it was going to be, but whatever. Uh, natural ability. Uh, can turn 1d6 times 100 dead. Healing touch. Uh, teleport self 100 miles in any direction at will 95% oh at 100% chance but 95% to another dimension see this is why gods don't die unless they're fighting other gods it actually says in this book once a god gets to half mdc he will run run and that means teleporting to another dimension usually home Mortals probably can't stop this. Other gods can. So that's why fighting other gods is not done every day. Because they're the ones who can really kill you. A mortal, even that army we were talking about. Once Zeus had enough, he could just teleport away. And he's gone. And he got and Of away. course, he's not going to leave like, oh my God, I'm losing. He's going to be like, I've got bigger things to worry about than you right now. I'll take time to think about all your individual punishments and then go, yeah. right? That's what he'll do. So that's what gods do. They don't lose. Not really. You can't lose if you live forever. Eventually, you're going to win against a mortal. Even if it means that mortal died. Right? Weather control. Okay, fine. Whatever. Uh, he has weapons, too. Uh, he has cool weapons. Weapons, okay. The Aegis, an indestructible shield, causes any being who sees its face to flee unless they can save versus horror factor 16. That's not so bad. The bolts of the Cyclops. Here we go. Zeus's Cyclops servants make powerful magic bolts, which he carries in battle, relying on those instead of his weaker natural lightning. Damage can be either 2d6 times 10 or 3d6 times 10. 
range 2,000 feet. Zeus sometimes gives 3D4 such lightning bolts to other gods, priests, and heroes as a reward for service to him. <laughs> Hang now, on to this for me. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a one-use thing, right? I no, mean, I he's understand. giving you 3D4 one-use items that do 3d6 times 10 damage which is a lot that that's a i'm just imagining him handing over uh, got this lightning here ha here hang on to my lightning bolt for me yeah yeah you know they're, they're at they, they turn into lightning when they're yeah let Throw, go yeah. Thrown probably in javelins shot, yeah whatever yeah yeah so yeah so god god can do that and here's hercules he was a dead he was a demigod but i think now at this point yeah he is a god at this point he 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 uh, he, he was evolved or you know he took the fruit or whatever and he became a full-blown god. But no, those are those are the gods. That that's what that's what they are. They're so strong, your group should not fight them. If your group is fighting your god, you as dungeon you as game master made a mistake. You made a tactical error somewhere and now you're boned. Because either the god runs away or the god wins. Eight and attacks for, for a, a god. Of... So Saigo says Zeus also has eight attacks. Yeah, but eight attacks isn't all that much when you consider that a Rift's juicer, I think, can get up to ten. That's true, but the problem is um, eight attacks, eight, eight punches from Hercules? No, no, no. I, I get, I'm just talking in general. I mean, that's yeah, definitely yeah. on Palladium Fantasy or Heroes Unlimited. That's rocking. But uh, on Rift's Earth, if you, if you do it right, you, I, I'm not acting like it's only eight. No, you start with four or maybe five if you're, if you're lucky. But these are already considered high level characters, aren't they? Like level yeah. 15. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Hercules is level 12. 12. Okay. There. Yeah. Yeah. Equal level 12th warrior in Palladium Fantasy is considered a level 12 mercenary. In Heroes Unlimited, he's considered a level 12 alien warrior. In Heroes, you can have the powers described here or five minor superpowers extraordinary strength, extraordinary endurance, extraordinary speed, healing factor, and impervious to fire and heat. God damn it. He's good. <laughs> Okay, they they even give conversion to, to Heroes Unlimited. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. All right, but using gods in your campaign, hopefully you've you've got the idea, the gist of it. The actual gods are hands off. They're yep. away. They're too powerful to to step on the earth. They're too powerful to be there, and they wouldn't want to be anyway. Here's here's the problem. The gods are constantly in conflict with other individual gods or other pantheons. That means once they commit their forces to something, they have to take them from other places. Other gods who are in competition with them will capitalize on the weak flank and get victories of their own especially if a god sets foot on Rift's earth. Every other god knows, oh my god, he's at one-fifth strength now. Sure, it's still fantastically powerful, but it is an opportunity that some gods will not pass up and go to try and kill you. They don't want to put themselves in that situation. So most gods' machinations are through their servants, either servitor races, priests, demigods, or godlings. That's how gods exist in a Palladium campaign, how they're supposed to. Now, if you want to run it differently in your game, that's fine. But how they're supposed to be run is behind the scenes, pulling string, marionette masters, all that stuff. You're never going to actually meet him unless it's in a dream. 
you're definitely never going to get to fight him and you're definitely never going to get to see him fight. Because if you fight a God, the God messed up. If you see the God fight, the God messed up. So there you go. So what do we have for start? We got a lot of them. Jeez. Well, there's some of them are the super chats. I just don't take them off that list. Uh, personally, try not to insert too much divine content in my game. So many games yeah. I've played, a lot of DMs play gods like spoil vindictive retards. Yes. Yes, that, that is a problem. But uh, Kevin actually put a good roadmap in here to to do it mostly correctly. And if you follow that roadmap, you're not going to have trouble with the spoiled nonsense like uh what was that what was that movie uh with the with the Norse gods and then the the they they had a Christian priest with them that didn't believe in Norse gods so he couldn't see them. Red Viking or uh, Eric the Red. Eric the Red. Okay. Old 80s movie. Old 80s movie. But uh, all of the Norse gods there were children and petulant little bitches. So stay away from that and you're, you'll do better. She says, I like how they had devils and demons as separate forces. I wanted to comment yeah. on that one because they are servitor races. They are again, part of the servitor races thing. Now devils and demons are not optional player characters like Scorpion <laughs> man or Asgardian dwarves or the like, you know, they are not optional character classes, but they are RCCs and PC RCCs that work for evil gods. Yeah. Um, Remember, Palladium stems from uh, AD&D first edition, I think it was. So even there, de devils are from devils are from the hell, and demons are from the abyss. Right. In so, and they have the blood war and yada yada. So I'm sure that was, that's a play on that. And I'm not saying that Kevin doesn't have an imagination, but I'm saying that I think it was inspired by what uh, AD&D did. Uh, Halcyon says, I know Heathenthal hates players playing shifters and dragons. How would he feel yeah. if a player asked uh, him to play a demigod character? I actually would accept that long before I would accept a shifter. But I wouldn't accept a shifter, not, not just because I hate them, because I don't hate the players. I don't want them to have to deal with a shifter in their party. Basically a time bomb. I don't need that. And dragons, if I'm using Rift's ultimate, it's all powered up. Of, you know, in, in, in respect to the original 1994 version. So if I'm using riffs ultimate edition, then dragon's fine. It, it works, right? It works in the new framework, but in the original riffs, the one I play, uh, no, I wouldn't allow it because they're, they're too OP. Now, demigods and godlings are as powerful as dragon hatchlings. True. Sometimes some would say even more. But they they come with strings attached. They literally have strings attached to other to the the parent gods that are manipulating your entire group through that character. That's the downside. You lose some autonomy because of duties and responsibilities. So it's up to the player character and the group if they want to have a demigod or a godling in their campaign because then they're going to lose some choice. Heresy, there's only one one true god is the emperor, the god emperor of mankind. Burn the heretic, kill them even, purge the unclean. <laughs> Apparently going back to Warhammer. Yes, yes we are. It's funny. Uh, how many alien intelligence are actually on Rift's Earth? I think it's More six. Splin, the Splugorth on Atlantis, the four vampire intelligence, and Seeker in the Deep down in the Marianas Trench. Okay, uh, I haven't done Vampire Nations yet. 
I haven't um, read it. I, can I take that day off? No. You got to be here for that. I'm sorry. I hate vampires, man. Like I just I don't like Palladian vampires either, but they're they're a large force on the planet. They own basically all of Mexico and the top part of South America or some shit. So they are a, they are a legitimate force on the planet. I don't know how many there are. If you say that there's that there's four in the in the Vampire Nations book, then fine, there's four. But alien intelligences, full blown alien intelligences. Maybe there's only six, but I'm sure there's dozens of fragments trying to get a foothold, trying to get enough influence on rifts to manifest the intelligence. Remember, Rift's Earth is an accidental hub. Yeah. Everyone wants in on that on that particular pie. And there's not enough slices to go around. First come, first serve. So they want to get there quick. All right. So this I, I, I need to ask you about this. So he says that's eight attacks per melee round, plus any extra attacks per melee round the level 12 gives them. I say no to that. I no. say that yeah, character no. is written up at 12th level, yes. and that is a 12th level character. That, he's exactly right. Uh, Max is right. When, when you're looking at, at a, a book character like this, who's already level 12, already leveled up, all this stuff, the hand-to-hand -hand attacks or the attacks per round that's already added including in, including all bonuses due to skills and level. That's how it is. And then finally, uh, 3D, uh, 3D 6 times 10 damage sounds impressive, but one player in a Glitter Boy 4 from the Mutants in Orbit has 4D 6 times 10 particle cannon and 800 MDC main body. It's all relative. But then okay, again, Riffs, Riffs has power creep. Yes, Riffs has power creep. Here's the thing, though. Okay, the Glitter Boy has 46 times 10 particle cannon and 800 MDC. Now, he's got how many rounds in that cannon before he, need, he needs to spend 10 minutes to reload? I don't know. Here's what I do know. Zeus has 20,000 MDC, and he can fire 3d6 times 10 eight times every round for the rest of time without stopping. Ever. Who's going to win that fight? Not the Glitter Boy. No. He can't win that fight. He can't. It's not possible. Okay. It's going to be like that when you're fighting a god, which you shouldn't do. I already, I already said this. You should not be fighting gods. If you did, you, you and the Game Master have made critical mistakes. It's probably too late for you. So if there's a takeaway from this video, it's don't fight gods, right? That's it. Yeah. And if you're a Game Master, don't let gods set foot on the planet unless it's the very last adventure. Uh, uses an energy weapon, unlimited ammo. It, if it's connected to the suit and powered by the nuclear engine in the suit, then sure, yes. But you have 800 MDC, he has 20,000. You're going to die long before Zeus dies. And Zeus, sure, he's the most powerful god we looked at, but he's not the most powerful god in this book. And even the minor gods have 10, 15,000. Minimum, minimum, five to 7,000 on Rift's Earth. They'll still win. See, this is what I don't like about riffs, and I'm not blaming weird guy here, but this is where this is where as people start selling me riffs is fun, riffs is this. It's the e peening of riffs because of mm. all the scope creep. And I remember this going back to the '90s again. I'm not blaming weird guy. It's like, yeah, but I can use the juicer from Juicer Uprising for the one that only lives like six months, but he gets 25 attacks around. He can do 400 points of damage with just his eyes. You know, yeah. uh, like the problem with riffs is it's all. It, it's the scope creep 
Yeah. So if I were to, you know, maybe the gods in in, in Rift's Earth back in the 1990 whatever uh, version of the book, they're they're great. Now as Cyberworks and all this other stuff has come out a couple of years later, you know, or 30 years later, eh, that's all. Eh. But then that's when you just up the power of the gods too. You can yeah. scale gods because they're yeah, gods. See, <laughs> fighting a Cosmo Knight is not hard. You just have to know what you're doing. Sure. If a if a if a glitter boy with an energy cannon tries to fight a Cosmo Knight, he's going to die horribly. It's going to be bad. It's it's not even going to be a fight. But you get a, a regular regular glitter boy with a boom gun, and now that Cosmo Knight should be afraid because he's only almost immune to all energy attacks. A boom gun is a whole bunch of physical rounds accelerated past several times the speed of sound. It's a physical attack. He's not immune to it. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. Two or three hits, that Cosmo Knight is dead. And there it is. The last thing I'm going to put up on the screen here, because, again, I got a comment for this. Palladium is for mature players. Hold on. Or it will mature you. Hmm. I say that's false, but here's why. I think conceptually, I want to agree with you. And I think that would be amazing. The best groups that I've been in or playing any really Palladium game, but uh, Rifts would be a great example of that, falls into that category because that means you're taking the world seriously. You're kind of, you're taking what Heathen Dog says with not just a grain of salt, but you're actually listening to what he says. Like you don't just throw out gods because you can. Rifts fools you. And this was, it actually worked on me for many years. This is why I didn't like riffs for the longest time. It looks like clown shoes. It acts like clown shoes. And I don't like clown shoes in my game. It's got too much crap. No, you're not playing a dragon character, but it has nothing to do with its powers because I don't want you playing a damn dragon. I want you to be a person. Like, uh, then I started looking at these other books. Like, oh, we didn't have enough power. Let's add even more power. And I had severe problems with that. But this is where Kokushuko's uh, comment, I think, is true. If you actually, A, rein it in, or B, use that power in bi-directional manner, which means if you've got it, so does the enemy, then the game, like he says, it will mature you quickly because you think, look at me, I'm all the tough big Borg and I can do whatever I want. Brr, 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 nobody can stop me. And then all of a sudden, you know, that demigod steps on your face and you're planted in the ground, part of the rock. They're rolling you up because you are two-dimensional now, damn near, and make a new character. Yep. So I can see that. Uh, Plating Power Creep is real. Preach that, Max. And as a name, Expansion Books by CJ Carell, typically. Hey, I, you know, I'm get, the Power Creep isn't bad by itself. The Power Creep in Rifts is very similar. Sorry, Heathen Dog, but I have to do this to both of us. The Power Creep in Rifts is very similar to the Splat Books for AD&D 2nd Edition. A lot of them were broken. 10% was useful. A lot of the ideas were good, but were broken. But you know what? You just say no. Or you make them the enemies of, or you follow his guideline, which is also use that realm. You're playing in that setting. Even though Kevin says they can all be mashed up, I still agree with Heathen Dog. That's just not the best way to go. No. You know? So, but yeah. Stay in your lane. Yep. All right. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's, Wait, okay, we'll, we'll this video. do one more here. Yeah, we'll, we'll risk biggest failure is the general plating failure. Uh, sniper skills suck. That I don't see that. Sniper sh uh, skills should cost three slots and allow for a critical hit and aim shot and on a modified. Then house rule it. Palladium there, is so... Yeah, house rule uh, that. That's 100% house rule. That's awesome. Do that. That's great. Absolutely great. Now, 
the thing is, rules as written uh, was was play tested and approved. It's got it's that behind two. it. Yeah. yeah. And then you want to come in here and change it. You know what? For your table, it can be whatever the hell you want, man. Yep. Whatever the hell you want. Anyone who cries about it can find a new table. Yeah. Try the the one. And, and I want this in the video. The big thing about Palladium and in talking with Kevin, go back and watch when we talk with Kevin is Palladium. It's it's failing and its strength is the same thing is it is a framework. Now, it's a crunchy framework if you if you try to read it page by page. But if you just take it in, you understand the rules. It is a framework. You don't have to hold on. What is it? Is it a plus two or is it a plus one? Who cares? It's set up a framework that says you get a modifier if you do these things. You get a bonus to skills if you think it through. You're, if you're rushed, you're going to get a penalty. From there, it's up to the game master. This isn't Pathfinder. You're not supposed to look up every encyclopedic rule in the book. You're supposed to understand the framework. And his table, we already know, even just by initiative, his table runs differently than my table. Your table is going to run differently than our table. And if you think that's a great house rule, Kevin will stand up here and be like, that's an awesome house rule. Go with it. Yeah. yeah. You want me so. to change my game? No, but it's a house rule. Go for it. That's yep. good. Absolutely. So cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Heathen Dog, for those three parts. So this this will go up on Friday. So hopefully it's Friday when you watch this. And I hope everybody has a great week and a great weekend. Woo! Oh my God, it's so late. I know. Um, I, I'm I, starving. So am I. Um, you do have some comments, though. <laughs> I'm sure I do, but dude, come on, man. Yeah, why'd you talk so long? <laughs> I didn't mean it. It's not my two hours. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Wait, um, I only how, talked what I started at. When did I start? I, I did two hours. So that means I went from the like. Two, the, three, four. To, so you did two. You did almost two hours also. Uh, not quite. Four twenty five because we started twenty five minutes after. Yep. So I did five twenty five. Yeah, not not quite two hours. Uh, two hour, an hour forty five. It'll be 40. cut. It'll be cut down once we get the middle parts yeah. out. So how about this? We won't do comments this week. My God, I am so far behind on comments too. By the way, if you've if you're watching right now and you've left a comment over the last couple of weeks and you didn't get a reply back or even a, um, sorry, I've been crazy busy. I I've replied to, to a couple. You have you ever replied to a couple? Yeah. I replied to a couple as well, but not nearly as many as I need to. So uh, we'll open it up. Go ahead and put the link out there for people to call in, but then we're going to call it a day. We'll give people a couple minutes to call in case they want to. Um, but more HD and less <laughs> ML. No. Max Leo. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, chill. Get oh, oh, that's mean. Come on. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right, I'm going to get the link out there. And the link out here. Oh, you already did? Good. Already okay, did. cool. So you know the rules, check your audio and your surroundings, one question or comment related to segment one or two. We're going to be really quick about this. I'm not even going to go through comments. We're just going to wait to see if anybody pops on in here. We'll give you a minute or two, so you better think quickly if you want to do this or not. Uh, watch the language, and uh, else we're going to be out in just a moment. There we go. All right, while we're waiting for someone, um, <clears throat> I personally would not allow 
a demigod or a godling in the campaign unless it was unless that campaign was all about the gods you know i mean if it would be it, i think it would be so hard to balance unless you were you were doing a clash of the titans epic you know campaign like that it would be so hard to balance you between everyone else because even even the the dragon hatchling or a burster or a or a or a, a mind melter is not going to hold a candle to a godling not i'm sorry not so i don't i don't know man i i i would i would have to have it be all about god or all about not yeah i hear you uh, comment I'll I treat power creep and rifts the same way as you treat power creep in real life people can't fight you face to face to fight you in a sneaky way that's true but there's also the concept I remember this back in the you know the Gulf War uh, era where it's like well it's not fair for America's power against a dumb little country like Iraq right the only people who want a fair fight in war are the people on the wrong end yeah yeah the weaker the weaker of the of the two will want a fair fight but fair to their liking yeah not to even an outside observer, you know? So, oh, we, we can only use, uh, we can only use tanks and troops. Iraq still would have lost. We can only use planes and troops. Iraq still would have lost. We could only use troops. Can only use troops. Iraq, uh, guess what? We would have lost, lost more men, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> still would have lost. I mean, the end result would have been the same. It just would have taken longer and more deaths on our side. The exact same amount of deaths on their side would have happened. So there is no fair fight at that point. There's there's no there's no fair at that point. All right. I'm going to assume that uh, nobody wants to call in. So with that, I'm going to let you give us words of wisdom. Then we'll uh, pop on out of here. And again, for people with the comments that, yeah, that want us to go over comments, I will try to respond to them this week. I've been really, really, really busy. I'm sorry. Like, I, I haven't been watching other people's videos. I barely prepared for today. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. I'm, hopefully this week will get it'll be a little smoother, but I can't promise that. And, hey, I might be out of a job next week because uh, apparently the government doesn't want to fund me. So, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Well, since we ended Coriolis today, I want to talk about that for a second. Coriolis is is a game it has it has its own world building it has its own lore it has and all of it is pretty is pretty deep multi-layered and if you want to play a nuanced campaign a game like coriolis is for you i i can't say that for many of the other freely games that we spoke about they're more straightforward there's a couple of layers but that's it but coriolis has so much intrigue, so much, uh, so much secretive uh, uh, agendas, and so much possibility built into it that if you want your players, or or I'm sorry, no, if your players want that intricate campaign to really immerse themselves into into a game, Coriolis is one of the ones you can you can hold up high and feel proud that they will get that experience. They will get what they want. So when your when your gaming group is looking for a more of a more of a thinking man's more of an intrigue game, a game like Coriolis will not steer you wrong. 